Welcome to the debut edition of the Star Wars Forum UK's podcast. I am your host, Stuart Skinner, better known on the forum as Boba Skinner. This is episode one, Chewing a Wookiee. Joining me tonight is Richard Hutchinson, the forum's CC4RHU. I won't be saying that too often. Good evening, Richard. Good evening, Stuart. You looking forward to this? I am raring to go. I've been looking forward to this for months. Wonderful. And secondly, we have the forum's Morster79, Mr. Grant Criddle. Hello, sir. How are we? Hey, buddy. How's it going? All good, mate. All good. Next up is Ben Coomber, who patrols the boards as Mr. Shifter. Good evening, Benji. Good evening, Stu. You all right? And finally, our market expert and forum's naughty Jedi, it's Peter Davis. Hello, Pete. Good evening. Well, this is, of course, our first podcast, and what a first podcast we are bringing you. Grant has been down to Farvis from and managed to catch up with the founder, Dave Tree. Whilst he was down there, he also managed to chat to both Paul Bateman and Mark Newbold. We were also lucky enough to have ever so popular forum member Ian Sanderson on. Pete has been looking at the current vintage market and he will be talking about the recent Vectis sales, amongst other things. We will be picking out our favourite threads from the forum and Ben will be picking out his favourite bits of the latest acquisitions thread. Rich will be exploding into the first podcast with his boom section which covers stories that are rocking the vintage collecting community. And Grant will also be getting out his oddballs as he talks all things Helix. As well as all this, we've also got the chance for you to win an SWF UK t-shirt. Now, Grant, what have you been up to and collecting in the last few weeks? Well, Stuart, I'm a Star Wars completist. I've been collecting since uh, 1994. Took a, a brief break in 2002 after my heart was broken by Episode 2. I still haven't got over that. Yeah, as a Star Wars completist, I collect all kinds of stuff. Uh, recently, I've managed to fulfill my Wallace Berry & Co. Darth Vader uh, shop display, which I managed to get from Bob Fisher, who was uh, a major inspiration to me in the early 90s to get into Star Wars was collecting as a completist. Sadly, he passed away recently and his collection has been sold off. So it's an honor to have one of those pieces and uh, starting to fill it as we go along. I've just picked up as well a 30-back uh, Princess Leia in the Bespin outfit. That's with the original picture, which is great. And a Luke Bespin on the, the uh, Troy logo card. So, you know, happy to be here. Uh, may the force be with us. While you were at your events recently up at Farthest From and Burnley, did you pick up any old vintage goodness up there? That's where I got the Leia and the Luke. I promised myself I wouldn't buy anything. And within about 10 minutes of walking in through the doors, I'd spent £470. Big thank you to Andy off the forum and Scott boy Dave off the forum as well who, uh, who, got, uh, who I bought these pieces off so uh, really happy with that but in loads of debt at the moment. All good and what piece are you looking for next? 
Anything in particular? Oh, mate. Actually, uh, we've just booked tickets to Anaheim in celebration, so everything's going towards that. But if anyone has a 45A Pally Toy TIE Fighter pilot to go with my Focus, that would make me very happy. You're making a big trip then. Not going to be a, a cheap one. Uh, no, it's not going to be a, a cheap one. But you know, I, I think uh, you know, we only live once and experience is everything. And I'm looking forward to uh, going over and meeting up with our American friends over there. Ben, let's have a chat to you about your uh, earliest memories of those little plastic toys. I, um, like most people, uh, are of a certain age, mid-30s. I lived through Star Wars films as a youngster. I was born in 79, so I missed out on Star Wars. Uh, my earliest memories of the films were seeing them on the television at Christmas, obviously the figures that came that came with them. So I had a few when I was younger, played with, chewed, ended up getting rid of them when I was about... 14, 13, 14. I was at a car boot sale as a seller. Spent all day selling all my old rubbish and had a fistful of notes and found someone that was selling Star Wars mint on cards, which I hadn't seen in a long time. Bit of nostalgia. Picked them up then. And I sort of plodded along really slowly in the hobby ever since. Sporadically collecting, picking up things literally with years in between until more recently where something's happened and uh, I've sort of sped up my collecting, trying to get together a collection of nice condition loose figures and a collection of basically various mint on cards one of every figure but on a different card back just have a nice diverse collection sort of uh, about half of the way through that now at the moment i suppose so you've been collecting for a long while but you're relatively new to the forum aren't you not... yeah i've not been on the forum very long at all what it was um that kick-started me was i went out to germany celebration europe too I was also at Celebration Europe, but because I didn't really know many other people that were, were collecting, and I've never really been a forum type person, Celebration 2, Europe 2, gave me a, a bit of a kick, and that's how I found the forum, really. I was originally came on looking to, looking to increase my collection, and happened to uh, meet some like-minded people along the way. It's a really friendly place to be, and I've met a few people in person now, attended a few events, and yeah, it's a great, great, uh, great forum. And Pete, you're also relatively new to the forum, aren't you? Just a few months, but you've made quite a contribution on there since joining. Some might call it a contribution. What, what is it for you that makes you want to contribute and post on the threads? I was into Star Wars, I mean, like, like the rest of you. I was only three and a bit when I, my mum took me to, to watch Star Wars, my, my older brother. So I've been into it since then. I think the first figure I had was the 12-inch the uh, Luke Skywalker, which I've still got, all complete, no box on it. And, but, uh, and then, then from then it went on to a fascination with droids and anything robotic. And uh, I wasn't big into the people figures. It was more robots and monsters. And, uh, and it, it went from there. About mid-80s, mid I sold it all off to buy a computer. So I sold most of my stuff off and uh, my, my vintage collection sat in a little white mailing box I've got next to me here and I'm slowly reassembling the collection so I'm about seven or eight short of finishing it uh, through the last 17 still to go and I've got a lot of wet weapons to get but uh, people like um, Ian off the forum and Mumbo off the forum have been helping me um, assemble that collection so I'm not too shy of finishing that now so and then after that I don't know I might delve into the uh, car backs I don't know um, it's a pricey business also noticed that recently on the thread that you've uh, you collect the other Tops cards. You got yourself some minty sets of them. Yeah, I, um, it's myself. And my brother used to used to obviously have to have a set each, so uh, we collect them. I, I, I have some vague recollection about a friend of mine used to work in a shop, so his mom used to own a shop um, just around the corner. I, I think he might have stolen a box of cards, and we went just rifled through them trying to assemble our sets. It was either that or stickers. I can't remember, but uh, I used to put those pictures together on the back of the blue cards and the red cards. I mean, it was, you know, trying to trying to finish those pictures was an obsession. I mean, I absolutely adore those cards. And I've, and I've kept those cards all the way through life, so uh, I'm never, ever going to sell them. I 
absolutely adore them. And I'm trying to get like a, a rough set to assemble the picture off the back of the blue cards, which I post on the forum. So um, it is, I mean, it's an absolutely stunning, stunning idea to have, you know, picture cards on the, on the back of these things. It's just, I mean, the tops cards have just been fantastic. I didn't even know until recently there was a, like a yellow set and a green set. I always thought it was just blue and red. I mean, uh, that's what's happened when you come back to some, some, you know, to a hobby. I mean, I collected a lot, a lot of modern stuff through the 90s when I was traveling around Europe and stuff. Didn't really sort of touch much on vintage. I didn't, I didn't think there was much around, so I didn't really think about it until, until recently. So I uh, decided to, to get rid of all that stuff, which I've sold off to various people on the forum. Uh, Richard is, is one. Decided to put all that money back into to collecting vintage. So uh, I've seen the light. Obviously, you just bought up Rich then, buying a bit of a modern. Rich, looking through the old um, threads the other day, looking at what people have purchased and whatnot, and I do notice that you're after a full set of Phantom Menace figures at no more as a price of £2. Uh, can we ask you why? Well, to be honest, I haven't got a clue. I do enjoy the prequels, I do enjoy the films, and I thought if I can get a full set of Episode 1, Episode 2 and Episode 3 carded figures, I would put them on display. But I'm only going to pay £2 each for them because that's all really they're worth to me. They're not something that I'm going to go out for. I'm not going to pay £20 for any of these rare ones. I just want to collect what I want to collect and display them nicely. Yeah, I thought those Episode 1 days were over, but apparently not. Apparently we do have an Episode 1 fan. Obviously, Richard, that's not all you collect. What else is your uh, main focus in your collection? Well, my main focus is to collect everything, including major variations, loose. I'm not interested in boxes. I'm not a carded guy. I want to call me figure. I want to, you know, <laughs> I tell this to sound corny, but I want to touch the figure as well. I want to be able to play with the playset. I want to be able to assemble the shit. And thanks to people like Adam and Ian, I managed to get quite a few variations, which I thought were going to be quite hard to track down. Um, I've just recently got something that I wasn't even aware of, a Hollow Tubes IG-88. I've heard a lot about the Hollow Tubes Tuscan Raider, so that was the goal. I was after that one for quite a while, but now I've just found an IG-88, which I'm pleased. And can I just reiterate, Adam, if you're listening to this, I'm only after major variations. Uh, I'm not interested if something is a slightly different shade of green. Oh, that kind of covers what I was going to ask you, because I noticed you uh, put your IG-88 army up, as you uh, were calling it. I thought you... Yeah, that's, uh, yes, that was an accident, actually, the way that that happened. I can look at two figures and can't tell the difference. So I asked for a silver IG-88 off Adam so you sent me a silver one and I put it next to mine and it was identical I then said Adam I think you've sent us the wrong one and after a few photographs he said that I had a grey one sorry I had a silver one so I wanted a grey one and then we, we got discussing and he ended up selling me another four, five, six IG-88s at a really really good price and it detailed the differences between each of them hollow eyes solid eyes pinprick eyes no hose with hose but to be honest with you I really can't tell the difference and I think he's uh, taking me for a mug here <laughs> uh, Rich, can I just ask you, is this the beginning of an IG-88 focus? Uh, good question. Um, I would say no, because I'm only going to collect major variations, and I think not too many figures have that many variations. I'm, I'm probably going to leave the IG-88 now. I'm going to go back on to completing my 12-inch loose, which I've been trying to do for about a year now. I think I've got an IG-88 you can have, Rich. It hasn't got arms, which I think is a really special variation. Yeah, well, if you put that on eBay and advertise that as the special way no-arm IG-88, I'm sure some sucker will buy it. Guys, seems that this is the very first Star Wars Forum UK podcast. I was, I was wondering, what are your hopes for the podcast and where would you like to see it go in, into the future? Grant, for me, the podcast is an extension of the forum. I think everything's going to go back to the Star Wars Forum. Those who listen to the podcast, if they head over to the forum, 
they will see the kind of guys who are all um, laid back, chilled out, the, the kind of guys who would quite happily have a beer. Not all of us would have a curry, but you get the idea. Who would just want to sit back, chat, talk about Star Wars, go to events, meet other communities, buy toys, sell toys, see how our collections grow, and you know, see all of the other wonderful collections that there are out there. It would be really great if we were able to generate a lot more traffic uh, to the SWF UK forum. That'd be awesome. For me, I think I'm simply doing this to uh, try something new, see if uh, see if I can expand my knowledge a bit and not to sound too much like a tool. From a podcast point of view, I always thought it'd be nice to have something, you know, it's always nice to listen to podcasts if you have to travel to work or travel from work and, uh, you know, to break up that journey a little bit. So hopefully we can make something that's going to be both entertaining and informative. Informative, yeah, good, good word, Ben. And that, that's where I hope it is. Hi, listeners. Remember that the salivating beast that is this podcast feeds off your input. Like the fire triangle, we need three things to keep this going. Beer, vintage Star Wars and great threads on the forum. Help fan the flames at www.starwarsforum.co.uk Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. One of the most popular threads on the forum is without doubt the latest acquisitions. With over 1,500 pages of comments and a staggering 22,734 posts to date, it was the obvious place to start this podcast. Ben, you've been keeping a close eye on the acquisition pages. What has grabbed your eye in recent weeks? I've been keeping an eye on it anyway, as you do, but uh, being given this section, one of the more difficult uh, threads because it's constantly changing and evolving, so I apologise to anybody who feels that I might have missed something special to them out, but I've just tried to pick a few things off the thread. One of the things I'd like to talk about that's recently come up in the latest acquisitions thread are Ian's two free packs. Now, these free packs are very, very rare items. They originally released uh, 1979, 80 and 81, and they were store exclusives for US department stores. They were generally released in the holiday season and they weren't released in particularly large numbers. So these three packs are pretty rare things. You don't see them come along very often. He's got two of the three packs from the second Star Wars run. Uh, There were 16 of these three packs in total. They were released as Star Wars three packs and then as Empire Strikes Back three packs. There were plans to release Return of the Jedi packs as well. And there are mock-ups and pictures of mock-ups, but no actual three packs were ever released uh, with Return of the Jedi livery on them. So he's got himself the, the droid set, which features uh, Death Star droid for the focus that he doesn't actually have. And he's got himself the villain set as well. These are, as I said, really nice items in, in good condition. He's had shipped over from the States and really pretty rare things to get his hands on. Ben, I've been looking at the pictures of these three packs. And one thing that I'm puzzled about is the three pack that's labelled as the villain set. In that set is a red snaggletooth. For a character that's on screen for a split second, why do you think he is being included in the villain set? Bit of an odd one, really, for him to uh, end up in there. I personally think that someone at Kenner had a particularly uh, had a bit of a downer on poor Snaggletooth. We know that he's already been victimised because of his size previously. I don't know. Perhaps they just didn't like him. He was um, featured in the Cantina, obviously, completely anonymous. 
not really any particular thing that would give you a steer as to why he was a villain. And when you look at one of the other three packs, which is the creature set, that includes Greedo, who I think would have probably made a far better villain uh, than Snaggletooth, given that it was indicated in the film that uh, he moved within certain shady circles. So I think Snaggletooth would have made perhaps a better fit for the creature set and Greedo maybe a better fit for the villain set. Do you think that Snaggletooth wasn't included in the creature set because the background of the creature set is red? And if you're going to put that red character in with a red background, it's not aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, that's a good point, Rich. That could probably be the uh, the reason why. If you if you as you say, if you look at the creature set, it's got a red background. It would have made the figure quite anonymous. He didn't have to appear in there, though. There are examples within the three packs of figures being duplicated, so it wasn't an exclusivity thing. Han Solo, uh, Ben Kenobi and Ugnot um, have all appeared in more than one of these three packs. Um, I can understand Han Solo and Ben Kenobi, but the, the uh, Ugnot, you wonder why he would possibly have uh, been popular enough to have featured in two of these things. Incidentally, there was uh, no Jawa and no Luke Skywalker of the first 12 that ever made it into any of these. Uh, that's Luke Farmboy. So two quite polar characters that uh, ended up missing out. I find with looking at these packs is that the you have the Boba Fett on the uh, Star Wars three pack. So isn't that just the same as having um, a Star Wars carded Boba Fett? You know, which I know is a, a holy grail for collectors out there. Isn't this uh, very similar to having a, a Star Wars carded Boba Fett? Yeah, that's that's a good point, Grant. I mean, you would argue, or you wouldn't argue, there's evidence um, there that there, there are more of the Star Wars twenty one back Fets in existence than there are of these three packs with the Boba Fett in. So for a focus collector, I mean, Fets are particularly expensive and popular focus focus character to, to have, but for a focus collector that was collecting Fets, this thing would be probably one of the rarest items you're going to get your hands on. One of the rarest production items, certainly, you're going to be able to get your hands on. So um, Ian's, as I said before, has, has picked up the villain set. He's He's got one of these. And yeah, so it's a for a fet collector, it would be a another grail item, I think. Uh, well, as a focus collector myself, yeah, the three packs is definitely something that um, you're going to be looking out for if you've got a figure on a three pack, and they are extremely rare. But I, I think I think some, I think these three packs are great. I know you've uh, you've managed to pick one up yourself, Grant. So you, you've been fortunate there. But I think for a lot of collectors, one of these would be a real showpiece to go in their uh, into their collection. It's it's something that. There aren't a lot of, not many collectors have certainly got them in numbers, maybe maybe the odd one or two, but um, no, it would be something that certainly would show 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 off really well and, and take centre stage in, in a lot of people's collections. I remember uh, uh, Chris Caswell off the forum uh, did a panel at Father's From. I think it was the second one in which he, you know, he broke down all the three packs and he's a, a three-pack uh, prototype collector himself. And I was never really interested in three packs until i really you know until i heard that panel and then finally picking one up i don't think it's until you actually pick one up and own one that you know you start thinking well that's great and uh it would be nice to have maybe another one or two to go with it so uh, yeah these are brilliant pieces yeah it'd be good to hear from chris i know he's a bit of an authority on these three packs and uh, i know he's also done a lot of research into them so yeah it'd be good to hear from chris maybe see if uh if we can get him on the on the pod one one day to uh, talk about these things but uh, in the meantime I say a great pickup by Ian and something I'm sure he's really happy with something else that I picked off the uh, latest acquisitions thread 
as there's been a couple that have come up and they're quite unusual, or I quite like them and I think they're, they're quite cool, is um, there's two Trilogo Miss cards. Uh, one that Slim picked up for his Squidhead focus, which is coming along quite nicely, which is a Trilogo reuse card with a Squidhead uh, figure in the, actually in the bubble. And the other one is uh, Plant Man's Klaatu, which is a little bit more subtle, and you can see sort of see why they uh, came up with it. But it's a, a Klaatu on a Klaatu Skiff Guard Trilogo card. These Miss cards are, are quite cool items, particularly if you look at the Squidhead one. You can sort of see why they would choose Squidhead reuse. They've both got appendages hanging out of their face, so it sort of makes sense. These, these cards are basically thought to come from Overstock, where they had figures, they had card backs, not necessarily matching. Someone sat down, had a brilliant idea that will approximately match certain figures with certain card backs. Look at aliens going on alien card backs, droids going on droid card backs. And we'll do the best that we sort of can to make up sort of Frankenstein figures and put them out for sale. So these are a bit unusual. The Klaatu ones considered the more common of the the Miss cards, the Squidhead ones, not so common, uh, and I think Slim's been looking for one for a little while. Yeah, uh, Andy's uh, Klaatu, Klaatu Skip is, is super mint. I think it's on uh, page 1505, and that, that is a really nice piece. I think that's the most common Trilogo Miss card. I would probably have to ask uh, Joe about that. But I was thinking, as for like a, a focus dilemma, which do you think is the most important? If you were, uh, if you had two different focus collectors, say one's a squid head uh, and one's a, a Reese collector, and you have the squid head figure on a Reese card back, I mean, which which collection should that that mock go to? I think you know as well as I do, Grant, that uh, that both collections will feel that it belongs in theirs. I think the next thing for uh, Slim to try and find, I don't know if it exists or not, because, again, there's not necessarily everything known about these Miss cards, is to try and find a reuse on a uh, on a Squidhead card back. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, Ben, I was wondering, um, because this is at the end of the Star Wars line, was the factory more interested in just getting rid of everything and emptying the factory of Star Wars products? Um, from from what my research has, uh, has led me to is basically, yeah, it was um, clear, clear the stuff that they had, sell what they had. I don't know whether they stopped production at the time or not, but um, I think if I, from, from what I've read and from what research I've done, it was certainly to uh, to clear excess, excess stock rather than anything else. These missed cars are something that's only really become a bit of a niche collector's market uh, in recent years. They were, they used to be considered something that was quite undesirable amongst collectors and, and a bit of a sort of freak thing. So they never really used to uh, used to get much attention paid to them. It's only more recently, more research has been done, forums and other collectors have compared what they've had and managed to put together records of what's what. Like, so basically from looking at Gary Smith's limelight, it, even he's not exactly sure how many of these missed cards are about and he's constantly finding new ones that he's picking up for his collection. So it's uh, still a bit of an unknown area. Nice to see a few come up in the uh, in the thread that people have picked up and added to their collections. Yeah, I was just thinking, guys, have any of you guys got any missed cards? Um, I've got one. I've got a Klaatu, a Klaatu Skiff Guard Trilogo card, but it's not ah. in as good condition as uh, as uh, Plant Man's. What about the rest of you guys? No, I don't have anything of that sort. Well, I'm a loose collector, Grant, so it's going to be very, very difficult for me to have a, a missed card. Grant, did you say you had one? No, I don't have one, but I, I, I would like one. Uh, speaking of Gary Smith, he's got a lovely um, uh, TIE Fighter pilot on the on a Darth Vader card, which, wow, you know, I'd love to have that. I'm sure there's some people that could probably make you one. Ah, <laughs> yeah, my order from Brighton. Yeah, we'll have to check it out, I think.
Something else that I wanted to uh, highlight in the latest acquisitions, Fred, was CoinNut's recent acquisition of a large number of Revenge of the Jedi proof cards um, that he's picked up from another member on the forum. The original title of the third film, or the sixth film, was reported to be Revenge of the Jedi prior to its release. George Lucas actually wanted to title it Return of the Jedi, but the producer convinced him that the word wasn't strong enough, so early in the production process, they changed it to Revenge of the Jedi. Now, uh, George Lucas was never fully on board with this. Towards the release of the film, they did some, some opinion polls were taken, and it was changed back to Return of the Jedi. But because of the merchandising, before the film was released, they'd started producing these card backs based on the original working title, Revenge of the Jedi. They basically, they were, they were made, but they were never ever used. A lot of these were destroyed, um, some of them weren't. There are a few of them around, but it's nice to see quite a lot in one place, like they, there is with, with CoinNuts collection, which is coming along really, really nicely. So I just wanted to highlight that to people, really. Do you know what? I think the, uh, that CoinNut got a lot of his proofs from Bram, uh, maybe it'd be an idea, guys, to either get a coin that, or Bram to come on and, and discuss these proof cards, because I believe it's really difficult to get a full set of them. I think it is, and there's also not just completed proof cards, there are also uh, intermediate stages of the, of the printing process, so I, I know for a fact that there's proofs exist with just the uh, Revenge of the Jedi logo without actually any character picture or any character name, various parts of the production process. Ben, I'm led to believe that there are 50 of the Revenge of the Jedi proof cards. Have you found any evidence to suggest that the others were made and they've just been destroyed? It's just that 50 is such a clean number. It just makes us wonder if there were only ever 50 made and the others weren't made. The reason that there are 50 proof cards is it's a deliberate number and basically there were 48 cards that were on The Empire Strikes Back that were going to be automatically rebranded over into the new livery. There are an additional two cards. Now, the 48 Empire Strikes Back cards included the C-3PO with removable limbs and the R2-D2 sensor scope. They also produced a 49th card, uh, 49th Revenge Proof, which was an, an R2-D2 card, which was the original Solid Dome R2-D2, which didn't have a nameplate. And a 50th card, which is often known as the Error card. It's basically a blank Revenge of the Jedi card. But speculation is that it would have been solid limbed C-3PO, as those were the two figures that would have made the number up to 50. The Revenge of the Jedi proofs obviously 48 back. There are in existence some 65 back Revenge of the Jedi proof cards. There are a total of 32 of these, literally just 32 of these proofs that exist. Um, they originated from two large printed sheets which came from the same source and have since been cut up. So the most common revenge proofs that you tend to, well, the only revenge proofs that you tend to see available are these 48 back ones. But still a very nice piece of pre-production and a very nice piece of Star Wars history. Also with regards to these Revenge of the Jedi proof cards, something else exists in a similar livery and, and that is a number of Revenge of the Jedi vehicle box proofs were also made and have found their way into collectors' hands. So maybe we'll see one of those in the uh, latest acquisitions trade quite soon. And Ben, you want to talk about a little limelight? Yeah, what I wanted to do, um, this is obviously the, the first podcast, but... Each week, I just wanted to highlight a limelight in our in our forums limelight section. 
just maybe to give it a little bit of publicity, get people to go and have a look. And this this particular podcast, people might be surprised because there are some pretty spectacular limelights on there. But one I wanted to just draw people's attention to is one that uh, Poncho Bell has put up recently, which is his budget mint on card run. He set himself basically a goal to collect mint on cards, and he wanted to do this for a budget. He didn't have a great deal of money, um, from what I'm led to believe, or certainly not a great deal of money to spend on mint on cards. Perhaps I'm doing him a disservice, but uh, he didn't really want to break the bank. He wanted to have a nice collection of a few mint on cards. So he set himself a budget for each one. I know he's had to revise it, but it's a very modest budget. And he's managed to collect, over the past three years, quite a few of these from eBay or from various other sources. And he's put together a really nice collection of, okay, some might say a bit battered, a bit ropey, a bit a bit well-loved mint on cards. But the budget that he's managed to do it for is incredible. He's got a nice selection of cards in there, so... He's got uh, Return of the Jedi cards, Empire Strikes Back. He's got Tri-Logos. He's got a couple of Power of the Force figures. He hasn't managed to find any 12 backs within his budget, but uh, I'm sure he'll keep trying. His first year's selection of cards, he managed to pick up for an average of £13.27, including postage and packing for each card. He's had to up his budget a little bit since then. So 2013's, he had to stretch it to £15.96. But I think that's... uh, a pretty good feat, really. And it's nice for collectors who maybe consider mint on card figures out of their price range to add to their collection. I think this basically highlights the fact that, really, there's something out there for every collector on every budget. The stuff you buy doesn't have to be the rarest, the most pristine condition, or the hardest-to-find thing in the world. If it makes you happy and it makes your collection then go for it. And I think that's what he's done. I think he's, he's put together a really nice collection of, uh, of carded figures. Do you know how many he's got to date and what the most expensive he's paid for one? I don't know what the most expensive he's paid for because he hasn't listed them individually. He's basically put his 2012 and 2013 acquisitions up. He picked up seven cards in 2012 for a total of £92.23, which is an average of £13.27. There are a couple of Klaatus in there, I'll admit, but uh, he's got a Power of the Force um, ATST driver. He's got a Darth Vader in there as well. 2013, he managed to pick up nine cards in total. He's got a couple of nice Trilogos in there, Gamorian Guard, and now someone's going to do me on pronunciation here, an Agnor. Am I right? Sounds like to me then, yeah. He's also got a nice uh, Empire Strikes Back Rebel Commando in there as well. These figures aren't for everybody's collection. He's he's proven that he can you know put together something that displays really nicely for a very very modest budget. The uh, the nine figures he picked up in 2013, he spent a total of 143.63, which is an average spend of 15 pounds 96. He's yet to put 2014's pictures up, so hopefully he'll listen to this and uh, it'll prompt him to uh, show us what he did in that year as well. Do you know uh, Ben? I've got a, you know I, I've got to echo what you said then. I think. This collection is outstanding. I think it's um, one of the most genuine Star Wars figure runs we've seen in a long time. That reminds me of old school Star Wars figure collecting, where it's not about big money, it's not about sticker residue, folds in cards, and stuff like that. It's just a really honest uh, collection, and it's all about the hunt. 
You know, it's not about just throwing big money at uh, rare figures that appear on the internet. It's about hunting down these figures, and, you know, he's got some great figures there for a great price, especially for the uh, Darth Vader was extremely cheap, so um, I love this collection, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing where it goes. You know, it's, it's not easy to find uh, carded figures this cheap, and, uh, yeah, I think he's done a great job. Completely, completely there, Grant. It's exactly as you say, really. It's, it's more of an old-style sort of form of collecting where you are just happy to find that particular figure on that particular card before the days of grading, uh, before the days where, where condition was king. Basically, got all the nostalgia there without having to pay the big bucks. So, well, well, done, on, well done to him for putting together such a lovely, lovely collection. I'm really looking forward to watching Poncho Belt's collection continue to grow and seeing what else he can pick up on his budget run. Now, Grant, I think you have uh, something just to add to this section. Yeah, guys, just as we were recording this podcast, I just wanted to give a shout-out to Michael Sith. Michael, thank you so much for the picture you sent me. It was a complete surprise when you messaged me to say that you were doing a drawing of a TIE Fighter pilot for my focus. You know, I've always wanted a piece of fan art in my collection, and uh, that was a big shock and surprise to me, and I just want to say a big thank you for that. I've put it in the uh, latest acquisition spread for people to check out. But big up to you, Mike. I'm, I'm really taken back by that, uh, by your generosity. A big thank you for that, buddy. So coming up now is an interview with forum member Ian Sanderson. But briefly before this, Richard is going to tell us some of the forum history. Well, the forum was set up in December 2005 by Ed Jedi. Um, he was a member of Rebel Scum. And due to some issues with Rebel Scum, moderation issues over there, and the fact that the majority of sales were states-based, and we get crippled on postage and taxes, etc., he decided to set up his own website based in the UK. He was at university at the time, and he was studying for a multimedia degree, and I believe that it was Boxing Day 2005 when the forum went live. I was a bit surprised about that because Boxing Day is a traditional day for football and Ed supports the, I think they're either 7th or 8th best football team in London, which is Tottenham Hotspur. So I thought he would have been at the Spurs match. So it had quite a slow start initially. Ed tried to attract members by linking to his uh, eBay sales. I certainly know that Chris Mann, who goes by Jedi, Jedi Masters, he found the Star Wars forum through one of those eBay sales. But in 2006, Ed decided to move it on to the next level. So he registered SWF UK as a domain name. And as he was transferring the files over to the new database, unfortunately, the, the database corrupted and Ed lost everything. That was posts and users, the whole lot. So he had to start again from scratch. It took a long time to get going again. I believe there was a bit of bitterness, a bit of um, anger, the fact that this happened. And really, what I'm going to call the new forum, or the new reincarnation of the forum, really took off in 2010. Membership absolutely exploded back then. And I'm putting that down to perhaps a lot of people like myself, who've slowly got back into collecting, um, the internet being much more widely available, um, and we've now got a nice healthy group of 2,168 members as, as of today, and membership's growing daily. We have four mods on there, 
who are Joe O'Brien, and everybody knows him as Trilogo Joe. We have Andy Plantman, we have Weasel, and we have Cape Town, who are all regular moderators, and you know, they do such a fantastic job. They're so laid back, and they pretty much let us get on with what we want to do. Um, unfortunately, what we've found is, is that when members hit around about the 2,000 post count mark, they seem to stop posting as much, and I take some feedback on board, which was told to me last week, in that there's only so many times you can say that a Jawa is fake. Well, Star Wars Forum UK is a lot more than that. There are a lot of topics going on that I encourage people to join in, such as the event section. By its very nature, it can be repetitive. We'll have new events going on monthly, so, so get involved with those. Um, obviously, the latest acquisition session, we are learning new things all of the time. Um, you know, the, the hobby is growing. And, it, and if you think you know everything about Star Wars, you're wrong. Um, we also have lots of threads and off-topics. So if you're interested in football, if you're interested in any of the artistic threads that are put on, get involved. Join in, join in the off-topic section. Um, you will be welcome. One of the things that's keeping me going on the forum is the amount of sales and there are a lot of people on there who are fantastic. I can trust them. Um, if I've got an issue, I can get in contact with them. I can send things back. I'll get things replaced, no problem. And one of the top guys, and I'm pretty sure everybody on Star Wars Forum has dealt with him, one of the top guys on that forum is Ian Sanderson, who goes by ITFC Ian. Um, I've never had a, a problem with Ian. Everything I've received from him is absolutely quality. So into the interview. Right, it's an absolute pleasure to be sitting here with Ian Sanderson, a very popular forum member. Right, you go by ITFC Ian on the forum? That's right, uh, yeah. Could you give an explanation for your forum name? So those sadly. Are the ones, I, I think I can guess what it means. Very, but... very sadly, it's my yeah, my football team. I, it's, 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 I, when, you, when you first sort of logged onto the internet, maybe what? 10, 15 years ago, yeah. everything asked you for some sort of password or some sort of handle. And it was the first thing I thought of, to be honest. And then obviously, as you move along, in order to keep up the repetition, you use the same thing. It is a little bit sad, I'll admit that. But it's what my eBay handle is, and it's what I'm on every every forum as. So It's not tough being an Ipswich fan then in Norwich. It's incredibly tough being an Ipswich fan in Norwich, although um, although it's a lot easier now. So it's been a bit hard the last two seasons, but I can uh, I can go to a game next year, can't I? Yeah, you get to get play them, yeah. 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 See now on the on the forum, you uh, appear to be the uh, go-to guy for the old items when people are looking for them. <laughs> I know when I first joined, I put a list of stuff up, and you. Uh, I PMG. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say if you've been through my uh, my. Um Login and uh, my um, my post, and I imagine PM sent is probably one of the uh, one of the common. Uh, oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah I think you're the post, first, isn't it? First time a lot yeah. of posts on there. Um, basically, right. what we were just wondering: where do you continuously get this bottomless pit of figures? Because when you fight everybody, it's like yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, to be honest, I've I've been a salesman ever since I was about well, ever since I was about seven or eight, and. Uh, even at school, I used to do buy and sell panini stickers and marbles. And as I moved on, I uh, I so I used to go to auctions when I was a teenager and car boot sales, buy things and sell them. Um, 
And really, it then sort of set out in the Star Wars stuff came along maybe seven or eight years ago. Um, I had stuff left over from uh, when I was a kid, and I went on to eBay to sort of value it, like pretty much like some of the guys end up on our forum doing. And then just as I'm I'm thinking, right, I'll pull the trigger and sell it, I start thinking, do you know what? I didn't have one of those. Didn't have one of those either. (laughs) And then what I was looking at is that you buy, I mean, this seven or eight years ago, you could buy the bulk, you know, bulk collections relatively cheap. And I thought, do you know what? I can buy those take out the bits that I want and probably resell them in you know, not make huge amounts of money, but at least keep the bits that I want. Um, and so I've been doing that ever since. And I mean, in fairness, it's just, it's just, there's people that come to me. There's people on the forum that buy, that sell to me. I get, I get quite a few of the guys that come onto the forum, um, looking to sell and, uh, I drop them a message. I mean, what I, what I don't do, I'm not a dealer, so I don't have to make, margins i don't have to make big amounts of money on it as long as i can you know turn a little bit of a profit or take something out of a set then um you know i'm happy to move the rest on so that, that's it i don't want to give away too many trade secrets though <laughs> no no um right so basically i want to go back to the beginning then where it all began for you in regards to seeing the first film and your first memories of the little toys well, I mean, I was born in 77, so I wouldn't have remembered the first film, or possibly much of ESP, to be honest. But I remember going to see Jedi in the, uh, the cinema. Um, my mum and, uh, my mum and dad, well, I'm one of four, and we weren't particularly well off when we were kids. So my mum and dad didn't really believe in little bits of plastic, although I'm, uh, I'm reliably informed my aunt once bought me a clatu. So, um, but why I had uh, I had you know, loads of friends, and one of them, his uh, his parents, obviously slightly better off, bought him everything. Um, we, all, we all remember the kid on the street that had those. And um, I say I used to go around there in the summer holidays, and I mean I, I, I honestly, hand on heart, can't tell you what I used to do with them. But I could disappear up there at ten o'clock, and I'd still be found in his room at three o'clock making some sort of diorama or. There's some sort of battle going on, but, uh, no, I, uh, so that, that was, that was it really. And then, you know, I mean, I just thought I played with them till I was about and picked a few up at cutter jumble sales and things like that as I got a little bit older. Um, and then it all really died off. Um, until I think sort of early nineties, I picked bits and pieces up at car boot sales, uh, with my brothers, um, with a view that maybe they'd be worth a bit. And I say, and then in, then sort of about seven or eight years ago, I, I went to sell them and, and got hooked again. Yeah, easily done that. <laughs> I think, well, you see it, don't you? There's lots of the chaps come on the forum ready to sell, and there's definitely been a few of them that have uh, ended up staying around ever since. Yeah, um, yeah. that's it. The forum, when did you discover, come across the... Uh... I think probably about 2010. I think that's when I registered. It. I'm, I'm online. I think like a lot of people, I, I looked a bit first and, and then you sort of pop up with a, you know, an introduction and you probably ask a few daft questions to start off with. And, um, I say, you know, you just, as you go along, you, you either, you know, I mean, there's people that have been and gone and there's people that have been here for much longer than I have. Um, but it's, it's a nice place to talk Star Wars. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's, there's a bit of banter, there's a bit of a laugh, um, 
I, I think it's fantastic. I've met Ed. Uh, I've met Ed at one of the uh, furthest drums. A really nice guy. Does it? Does a good job and lets us all crack on. Really. Um, is there anything you dislike about the forum? Anything you think could be improved, or uh, what is the worst? No, not really. I, I say. I mean, to be honest, I know some people get a bit wound up by some of the uh, some people that come on there and then they disappear off to eBay or. You know, they come on here and, and make, make funny comments. But no, no, I, I think it's, I think there's some good bands, so there's good people on there. And it's, it, to be honest, there's actually a, a really good community spirit on our, our forum compared to some of the other forums. You know, I, I think some of the forums are good for information, but possibly not, you know, they've not got the, the, the spirit that this one's got. No, they yeah, agree on that. So let's move on to your uh, collecting habits. Okay. <laughs> um, I want to start with a couple of your recent purchases, but uh, I, I know you pick, pick these up very cheaply. Uh, very cheap. Very, very, cheap. very cheap. So, so uh, yeah, um, pick these up on the, I've seen these on the uh, acquisitions thread. Yeah. And the first ones I want to talk about is those peachy little three packs um, and how you managed to pull off such a coop and find them. Uh, it took me It took me a while, to be honest. Um, now, I think this... I mean, I, again, without giving away too many trade secrets, eBay eBay is a fantastic source to meet people that are selling. Now, I think the chap who had them did actually list them up very briefly, <coughs> along with a load of other bits and pieces. I bought some of his other bits and pieces. We got talking over um, over eBay, and then we get the email addresses, get talking over eBay, get some pictures. He decided to take them off of it. You know, he wants to get them fully valued. So we just have a lot of, you know, back and to and fro in, lots of pictures. Um, and he's, you know, he's obviously new to new to Star Wars, but has a rough idea of sort of values or, or at least what he thinks they're worth. And it's about, you know, managing his expectations in terms of uh, what what's, you know, what's a viable price for them. And for me, for getting a piece that I know, you know, there's not that many of them about and not many of them, certainly not many of them over this side of the pond. And so, as I said, probably the whole thing took a few months. My uh, my good friend, our uh, our American cousin, Mr. Todd Osborne, did me a big favour in taking them and uh, and then getting them moved on to me. So, um, I don't know, I should probably discuss to, you know, avoiding um, postage child costs. But uh, just in case anybody hears this, but we did, so uh, so that saved me a bit of cash. I was a bit nerve wracking, you know, when you know what you've spent on these things and uh, you're waiting for a box to arrive. But they did, and uh, I say thanks to Todd, they got here safe and sound. Ah, so you you had actually been actively seeking these items for? Um, I mean to be honest, I, I I'm one of these collectors. I don't necessarily have a list of items that I need um, there's, there's obviously I, you know, I, I'm sure we can touch on the mocks in a minute but um, there's obviously items on, on that on that that I do need but no I, I, I like to go for things that um, that are you know I just don't own you know I mean I, I've, I've, I mean if you um, if you come to see and some of the lads have come to see my uh, my Star Wars room then I do have quite a lot of everything um, so it's finding bits that I don't own or haven't owned, and uh, and if I can get them for the right price, then uh, then they'll go into the collection. So you're not planning on picking up the rest of the three packs then? There's quite quite a few more. My wife is definitely listening to this, and uh, and I can categorically state for no. But uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, for me, it's, 
I, I see this, it's not an investment, but I see this as, you know, I, I buy things with the, the faith in the knowledge at the moment, at least, that um, they're only going to go up in value. So, yeah, um, yeah if, I, if I can pick those up for a good price, then yeah. But they're not they're not something I'm I'm particularly focused on. Um, I mean that's why you know the question about sort of a focus on a, on a figure. I don't I didn't necessarily focus on Death Star Droid. I'm sure we'll come on to this in a second. But what I did do is I picked up bits that I wanted, like a poppy, and added those into the collection. And I thought, well, I might as well use the same figure. Ah, wonderful. Well, earlier in the podcast we were um, looking at the latest acquisitions thread on the forum and obviously right. your your three packs came up as one of the main yeah. discussions uh, we we could we were all debating whether snaggletooth should have been in the villain pack <laughs> yeah. and why like that, any actually. idea why he was included because we couldn't uh, to be, to be honest uh, you're talking to the wrong chat there i think you need to speak to mr mr caswell but uh no i don't know i, I mean to be honest from what I know of these, and we did, he, he did actually do quite an informative little chat down at um, another of the furthest Tron. But from what I know of them, they were they were put together quite cheaply. Um, I mean, the amazing thing with these three packs, and Chris has got some adverts sort of back in the day for them. They were available at around the same sort of price as a as a mini rig. Now, if you think that was that was about sort of three or four pounds, then you know, what they're worth. What I pay for them is a little bit more than that, three or four pounds. And yet you could probably still buy the mini rigs in the box for three or four pounds. So I don't think a huge amount of thought necessarily went into them. It's, it was just, a, a, you know, a chance for them to shift on figures that, you know, in a bit, yeah. bit, uh, a bit more bulk. I mean, um, I think, I think today we sort of tend to overanalyze some of these sort of things. Why is that there? Why was that there? You know, at the time, they they were just shifting. They were their their intention was to shift bulk, and uh, you know that's what they did. And I, I I always think it's always funny when you get you get people going. Um, you know, why is there a PBB in that uh, or PPP in that uh, in that card there, or why is that why is that? Yeah, and it's just you know they they weren't caring about that sort of thing. It was they had a box of figures that they needed to shift out as quickly as possible. So you you think Chewbacca being in the Android pack was a <laughs> <laughs> was probably the first that, that might have been a bit of a stretch, might and it <laughs> definitely might have been a bit of a stretch. Perhaps they hadn't seen the film. The people were packing them. <laughs> um, the second thing on the acquisition thread was that case of B wing mocks. Yeah, now that I have, uh, I have, uh, I have my good friend Mister Poncho built to thank for that one. He um, he put something up on the forum saying. Who on earth would buy these? And I thought, you know what? <laughs> I know who might buy those. I um, I actually picked up a box of uh, Jabba uh, palaces from actually another chap on the forum, um, Andreas uh, Hade, I think uh, is his code, uh, about a year and a half ago. And I, uh, I I got that, and I thought. I mean, it's not the easiest thing to display, clearly, but I thought that's a fa- that's a fantastic bit of history. So anyway, so um, so suddenly, you know, link the uh, link to the the B wings on eBay, and um, I sort of did a bit of maths, and you were looking at, I think it's thirty, was it thirty eight, forty eight of them, forty eight of them, um, and the the chat wanted just over a thousand pounds for them. I'm thinking, well, you know, even if even 
even if you do the simple maths, you're only paying twenty eight pounds a twenty eight pounds a card, mm. and then you get the you get the packing box, which you know is a very unique piece of history. So I think I put an offer in too, and he accepted straight away. So I mean, it was another one that I uh, I got a bit of assistance from uh, my good friend Todd with, but uh, they arrived safe and sound as well. So um, I just need to work on how, figuring out how to display them now. Oh, so you're, you're keeping them? You never clip? Oh yeah, yeah. There's, there's, I mean, I say from my point of view, everybody, you know, people think of me as a seller and uh, you know as a, as a as someone who, who buys to sell, but. I uh, where possible at least I uh, I try and fit them into the collection if it's something that I haven't got. That said, my wife would be very happy with me uh, me shifting them out, but uh, at the moment they're, they're they're staying. And and to be honest, I think they're a unique piece of history in that box. And if it pieced out, then you know they're nice pieces, but they've not got that you know. And, and you know Timbo might uh, might disagree with me on this one. But he's not the most excited of figures. If it was a packing box of uh, hand solos, I think uh, there'd be a bit more demand for him. But uh, yeah, but no, no, they'll be they'll be staying put for the time being. Um, now I might have got this wrong, but looking through some of your limelights and your uh, posts on there, am I right in assuming that you're trying to get every character on every mm-hmm. card ever released as a mock? Yes, it's it's every character. On every card back, so for example, um, Chewbacca on a Star Wars card, an ESB card, uh, a Return of the Jedi card, a Trilogo card, and a Power of the Force card. So I'm not I'm not so fast. It, it, what it is, and I need him on a Return of the Jedi '77, a '65, and a '79. Just need him on a Return of the Jedi card. Mm. So yeah, that 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 is my long-term goal now that is a massive massive uh, yeah uh, I, it's, it's easy to start off with i tell you because you, you haven't got a focus you know you, you i mean when i first started um sort of collecting mocks it was brilliant because people would put up um sales threads and you know nine of the ten cards they had listed i needed so that was brilliant but um i think Back end of last year, early this year, I got down. There's, I, I should have done some research, but I think there's something like 200 and it's either 290 or 270. But I was 13 away from it. Now, right, so you're um. So I, that's where I got. Now, recently, mainly to fund a couple of um, slightly larger purchases, I have let let some of them go. Um, but the reasons for that twofold. Firstly, just to release funds. Obviously, I don't have an unlimited uh, source, and you know, a thousand pounds worth of B wings does does. <laughs> I don't happen to have a thousand pounds lying around for B wings. Um, so that was the first reason. And secondly, I mean, I got down to the last thirteen. Now, pretty much every single one of those is a seven eight hundred pound card minimum. Um, which is a lot of money to pay for a mock. I, uh, I think, I think everybody goes through that transition of paying, you know, ten pounds for a mock, fifteen, twenty, thirty pounds for a mock, and then you buy your first fifty pound mock, and then you buy your first hundred pound mock, yeah. and you know, and, and so on. And I, you know, for me, it still is a lot of money to be paying. And um, you know, I, I have a family, and I'm not particularly uh, flush with cash, so um, so that. 
was that was one of the reasons I uh, I let a few go really just to um, to sort of increase the things that I uh, I needed again. And the second the second thing is is that you know some of the cards that I let go weren't in fantastic condition. So my aim next is to maybe upgrade some of them. Right. Well, not 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 giving us the exact amount. Which block mm. was the one that you actually handed over the most money for? Probably my um, droids Bob effect. No. And, and that is that. In fairness, that holds the record twice. I think because um, I bought a a full set of um, the droids uh, cards. Um, over in America about a year, two years ago. And then, um, I, I obviously limelighted them and I got a message from a chap on RS with quite a substantial offer for my droids, my droids fet that I had at the time. Um, to the point where I, he almost paid me exactly what I paid for the full set of them. So, you know, I was a fool to not let it go. But then as soon as I let it go, it was like, a bit gutted, so um, so one of the guys on the forum actually put one up, and it's not in as good as condition, but it was nice to have him, and he's he's a bit of an iconic, I uh, you know on the droids card especially he looks he looks pretty uh, pretty good, so yeah I'd say that was the one that's that's the one I paid the most money for twice. Oh wonderful, and also during this impressive run of mocks, what's the best kind of deal bargain you've? Uh, You've made on them. Yeah, I got a lot of my twelve backs from one woman, and again, that that was something that came through eBay probably about three or four years ago. I um, I bought one or two of her cards and started talking to her, and it turned out that she was selling her husband's collection. He he, he just passed away, or he passed away sort of six months previous, and she didn't know a lot about them. Um, so we we just started getting chatting. Um, and I mean, anybody, and you'll find this anybody who has bought from me in the past. I'm, you know, I'm not there to try and you know, try and rob people. I'm not there trying to tell people that their collection's worth a lot less money. So I'm, I'm quite honest. And she, you know, she looked at completed listings on eBay. Um, and in the end, we came to a deal, and I, I picked the bulk of them up for around. I think it worked out to be about 150 pound each, which was, you know, that made her happy. I mean, I was happy to be paying that. I mean, this is this is probably pre. There's been a, quite an increase in in the demand for twelve backs. So, um, I mean, I, I pay slightly under market value, but not not to the point where you know, I felt that either party was, um, or you know, certainly she was um, not getting a full value. So, no, I'd, I'd say that was that was probably my uh, my best deal. I also got um, got quite a lot of tri logos from chap. One of the chaps on the forum who, who purchased it from RS, so that that boosted me up by about thirty tri logos in one day, which was quite good. Impressive stuff there. That's a, yeah. So from the uh, the mocks that are remaining for you to purchase, which one yeah. do you think is going to be the hardest to find to put your hands on? Well, the one I mean, I could probably list you the thirteen, sadly, but um, they're all. I mean, they're all quite tough to get. I mean. On the Star Wars card, it's the the Boba Fett. Um, on Power of the Force, you've got six of them, which are the Gammy Guard, the Yoda, um, Attack Driver, who else? Oh, Nick Two, and then Anakin and 
the Ack face. So they're all quite tough ones to get. Um, and then on try logo, it's it's the three which. Uh, Jawa, Boba Fett, and then of course the uh, the magical Medine. So, um, so I mean, I think, and then a couple of the the hybrids as well, so the Cloud Car Pilot and the Hammerhead. So I think it, it's not that they're necessary. Some of those are necessarily difficult to find in terms of rarity. It's just that people aren't letting them go. So no. when they do come up, other people want them to complete collections as. It's a demand and supply thing. Oh, so, yeah. I, so I think I think probably the Boba Fett on Star Wars card is one of the easiest, e- easy ones to find, but they just don't go for very cheap money. Nice. So I, I think probably the Power of the Force ones, the Nick Two, uh, Attack Driver, they're not going to be easy to get hold of. Well, very impressive focus to be. <laughs> there you go. Fair, yeah. <laughs> um, what about your loose? Figures. Do you have a full collection, or do you collect various? Yeah, uses? sadly, sadly, I, I've got. I, I think OCD and Star Wars uh, collecting go together quite well. I mean, you could literally apply it to, li- you know, to anything, and 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 you sort of read some of the threads from some of the guys who've been collecting for a while, and you're like, I can, I can relate to that, and yet you you put that out to sort of the general public, they'd be like, you what? You mean? He's different because he's got a slightly darker boot or a slightly, you know, he's got, you know, a couple of hollow cheeks. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's also what makes the, makes the whole thing fun. If you, if you could pick up a loose collection and that was it, then, then you'd stop, wouldn't you? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I would say I've probably got in my loose collection, well, I reckon of the, of the, First seventy seven or seventy nine really. Isn't it? Um I reckon I've got at least an average of about five five different variants. So I don't know what that works out at. That's about nearly four hundred loose figures, I think. Is is your Star Wars room the biggest in the house? <laughs> Probably about that, yeah. It was in the baby's room, but we get I got I got I got an upgrade, so uh, when baby arrived. And does it also extend to ships and play sets? Are you got any? Um, I'm not. I'm not so. I'm not so anal about those. I mean, I do. I think, with the odd exception, a couple of the the sort of power of the force uh, late things. Um, I don't have a land of the Jawas actually, but apart from those two, I've pretty much got every single one of them, and I have got a couple of different variants. I've got, for example, the Ewok village. I've got the Return of the Jedi and the Tri Lego one. Um, it's it, it's not really something I've necessarily focused on, but when you buy bulk collections, when you buy in bulk, you do tend to get everything. So you know, if somebody's got those, and as I say, a lot of my purchases are mainly done on, you know, if I'm getting it at a good price, then it go into my collection. So, so yeah, I'd say I've got I've got quite a few. I mean, they're not. I mean, a lot of the boxes aren't in mint condition or. Um, you know, they've certainly not got all the insets and things like that. But, um, yeah, they've got quite a nice array of them as well. Do, do you touch on me any modern stuff? Oh, well, actually, no, I've got two pieces of modern in my collection. I've got a Gentle Giant, which I think they look amazing. Um, so I've got the Gentle Giant Death Star droid. And then I've got a couple of Death Star droid modern pieces that some very nice chap on our secret Santa sent over to me. Oh, so um, so they're the only ones in my collection. I have got a garage full of modern modern stuff. 
um, that again I picked up when buying um, when buying people's collection. Um, but no, I mean if I went down that route, I'd, well I think my wife would divorce me first and foremost. But um, but no, to be honest, I I collect, and I think a lot of the guys on the forum do this. I collect because of of the memories that I have from the figures and the uh, you know the ships and everything that I played with as a kid. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I nothing against the modern stuff. Some of it looks, some of it looks ten times better than what I would have had when I was a kid. Um, but it doesn't hold any sort of. There's no, there's no sort of attachment to it. And yeah, I mean, in all honesty, I'm, I'm happy when I, I take some of it to car boot sales or to the furthest farms, or I've given some of it to my, my nephews. You know, and they open. I see people open it, and that's what they're doing. They're opening it, and playing with it as toys, which is. For me, what what the modern stuff designed for? I mean, maybe maybe in about thirty years' time, I'll regret doing that. But that said, I don't know with the amount of it around. I'm not sure I will do. No, yeah, thirty years' time, you'll probably be uh, trying to get a full mock collection of the modern. <laughs> I hope I'm yeah. <laughs> so, well, left have okay. another Star Wars room, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully, I'll have one of those dungeons that the chaps in uh, in the states have the. Uh, Oh, yeah. yeah, that's what I want. Um, moving on, the next point we, we've actually touched on this several times already um, is obviously your love for the Death Star droid. Um, yeah. When things come up on the forum, you purchase it. Yet you always deny you've got a Death Star droid <laughs> focus. Denier, but, uh, yeah. but it, it, it must be kind of focus. I think so. I mean, for me, again, it. I I I think. Getting towards the towards the end of the mock, um, you know, the mock run and and getting finding it harder to buy things, you know. I mean, the, again, a lot of the a lot of the sort of satisfaction that you get out of this is 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 finding new bits and getting new bits into your collection. And when you have got close to the end of something, then it is finding something else that you can um, that you can do that with. So I, I, I sort of took stock and thought, well, look, what I haven't, what haven't I got? And, you know, I looked at, I looked at the Gentle Giant piece and I thought, you know, I, I quite like those. I'll get one of those. Um, I'd always wanted a poppy, one of the um, Japanese cards or, or little boxes. And I thought, well, yeah, if I can get one of them, that'd be nice. Um, and, and then I thought, well, do you know what? Maybe I should get them all of the same thing. Um, now, the Death Star droid for me is one of the, the best looking pieces in the Star Wars set, if you can get him right. I mean, I've got plenty of the floppy limbed, uh, you know, discoloured ones knocking about. Um, but no, I think the artwork on the boxes looks good. He's nice, shine, nice and shiny. Um, and he's always been one of my sort of more favourite uh, card packs. So I thought, yeah, I'll um, I'll see what I can pick up. Death Star Droid. Um, and also, he's not one that, I mean, everybody wants to pick up Boba Fett stuff and Luke Farm Boy. And I thought, well, you know, let's try something a bit different. So, yeah, so I, I wouldn't say I'm a focus collector, but I've got I've got a few nice pieces there of the Death Star droid. Still, still in denial of the focus. Still in denial, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still not a focus. Um, so if you were, you know, Earth was about to blow up, you've got to go to Mars... <laughs> You can only take one single piece of your collection. One single piece. Would you be taking with you? Very, very difficult. See, if the Earth was about to blow up, then I suppose the valley doesn't matter. So, 
Um, but that that would probably it would probably be the most valuable uh, thinking I can resell it and restart, you know. But um, no, I mean I've got I, I, there's only one figure that I own from childhood, or that I know that came from childhood. I mean maybe some of the, the some of the things got mixed in, but I've got a, a Rebel Commander with a chewed off foot um, that I, I remember finding in a hedge when I was about eight or nine. Um, so he'd be one of the first things, but I, I reckon I could slip him in a pocket. So it would be the, it would be the three packs that would come out with me. So. Um, next thing I was going to touch on was the uh, the Norwich Sci-Fi Convention coming up on the eighth of June. That's right. Yeah. I don't know why I'm asking if you were going to be attending the show, but I have been informed this evening that you're actually doing a barbecue afterwards. I I I've what? invited people on the forum too, said Bobby. I did it last year and only one person turned up. Although that way that person was Grant, who is a very nice Oh, I think guy. he's coming again. I think he's the one that's Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm giving him my couch again this year. So um yeah, I mean I'm I'm I've actually messaged them to get a table there. Um because we went we did go there last year with another one of the other forum members, Neil Jacobina. Oh. Uh, and Grant obviously came over. And we were, uh, you know, it's, it's a fantastic day out. The, the, there's um, the dress up and everything. But in fairness, a lot, lot of the uh, the stalls there were were all selling modern, and you know, I think there's definitely a niche there for vintage. So hopefully, yeah, I'll be having a table there. But yeah, uh, you can consider this an open invitation as long as it doesn't go Facebook wide <laughs> and, uh, and I have the whole street full. Then uh, yeah, anybody's welcome and. Uh, we can either we can do it the night before or the night uh, on the night either way. So you might, there's the might, offer out there. You might be safe with it, the way this podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, I think, I think yeah. I should be all right. <laughs> yeah. Um. And what about Fathers from? Are you coming to July? I noticed you had put up that well, my birthday or anniversary for me. So yeah, she's asleep now. So uh, I'm <laughs> touch that on her. <laughs> yeah, I can probably be a bit more honest. I had a thought, so my uh, my wife benefits from my sales in in terms of getting the cash in her bank, so she'll probably let me out. So, but I've attended them all so far. I mean, to be honest, for me, it, it's been it's a fantastic day. Um, Dave does a really good job of organising them, and I mean, for me, I think a lot of the guys on there treat them as a bit of a, a forum get together as much as anything else. Um, and you know, we've had some cracking guests down there. Um, and it's it's a good place to meet up, talk Star Wars, um, and you know the, the, the day goes quite quickly to be honest because you, you you're having the sort of conversations that you you have over the forum, but you know live how how you're meant to talk to people. Right, well that's near enough me done with you, so I'll let you uh, get to bed in a minute. But there's one other thing, um, I have a question here from one of the Bar Podcast team, Richard. Right. And what he is wondering is, what is he most, what's more likely, him getting his at-at head or it getting into the Premier League? <laughs> I tell you what, I'll do him a deal. He'll get his at-at head in the if it's which get into the Premier League. Oh, well, what will do it next year? Well, I tell you what, if he comes down to uh, if he comes down to Norwich, he can walk away with about ten at-at heads because I've <laughs> I've got about twenty or thirty of them in the garage. So. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you ever so much, Ian. It's been a pleasure and a privilege to speak to you. And, uh, no, look, it might be my pleasure. I'd be interested to hear what my voice sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all a bit worried about what voices are going to sound like. That. 
<laughs> you're, you're doing all right. You're not sounding too too high pitch at all, so you're doing all right. Well, thank you ever so much, Mady. It's really a really appreciated, no and uh, hope to have you on again. Yeah, uh, no worries at all. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, and on to the events section. What a wonderful job this is to go to events and meet the actors and look at the vintage memorabilia there and also speak to collectors. I personally want to say that this is a section as well that uh, Mark Spook Hippie from the uh, from the forum is also doing, but Mark can't be with us. So Mark, we're holding this position for you, buddy, and look forward to you joining us when you can. I'd also like to thank everyone we managed to get seven interviews for this podcast, three that will be releasing this month and then four next month. But I'd like to say thank you to everyone. I mean, everyone was extremely generous with their time. All of these interviews that we've got today are from David Tree's Fathers From. And, you know, big thank you for Dave for allowing us to do this at Fathers From. And I think the best thing we can do is to start off our events interview is, is by listening to our interview with the man himself, David Tree. Right, guys, I'm here with the real UK Star Wars vintage collecting Illuminati, David Tree, founder of Fathers From. Dave, thank you so much for chatting to us today. No, 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 no. Thanks, thanks for coming down and and uh, spending. Is, is this your fifth one? You didn't. You missed one. I you? missed number three. So you're not really like. That's a girlfriend. Know. She's gone now. Waste of time. Aren't Yay! Hey! We, you know, we're, 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 we're back on track. <laughs> well, no, that's cool. No, well, well, thanks for coming down and supporting the show. You know, and I appreciate everyone's interest and, and all the rest of it. Yeah, man, I love this show. I mean, it's, and it seems to just grow and grow and, and and more wonderful stuff going on there. Is there any highlights of today that uh, are in your mind? Uh, this is definitely the highlight for me today. I uh, knew you'd say that. And, uh, you know, and, and being in this lovely venue. For, for, for people who have no idea where we're talking, we're not actually in the main hall. We're upstairs. And it just it's just got that whole kind of like creepy school feeling about it. The queen so, is looking at us. Yeah, yeah, we've got the queen up here. We've got a bull. I think there's a hubcap over there or a plate or something. Oh, some miner's lamps, which is interesting. There's no mining around here at all. No. There's, um, uh, do any of these collect vintage? I wonder cow, if the queen yeah, does. cows, plowing fields. But there, there you go. There you go. So this is the highlight of the day. Dave, what was the inspiration behind Fathers From? Well, the inspiration actually came... Uh, from uh, a a different source to this podcast, but a podcast nonetheless, which is Star Wars Collector's Archive, uh, the Kivecast podcast, and to kind of give folk who've never been down to Father's From before or all the cool stuff. I run a toy shop in the town. I uh, started it uh, as a shop about uh, nearly five years ago. Uh, And at that point in time... um, I had to change what I was doing in terms of like my collecting, and I got very, very disillusioned with like the Star Wars collecting community. I, um, I don't really go on forums anymore, anyway. But I, I got super disillusioned with everything that was going on, and um, there were a couple of deals that went sour. Uh, there were a couple of things going on in the community of, of people who I thought that I considered friends that turned out to be abusing other collectors. You know, desires and wants for certain things. And there was more than one of them as well, and I, 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 I was just completely just 
totally cheesed off and I was like, I, I need to take a break. And doing, starting up at their shop was taking up a lot of my time. And a couple of years in, you know, probably about two years ago or so, I guess, uh, one of my friends, uh, a guy called, uh, well, off the Star Wars UK form, Dom, although he never actually seems to post there anymore, but Dominic White, he's, he's local to here, he's just like saying, oh, you really need to like listen to the Star Wars uh, Kivecast because uh, I think you, you really like it. And I was just like, no, man, I don't listen to any. I've got, no, you know, I'm too busy for all these sorts of things. I'd never listen, listen to podcasts at all. So I started, like, downloading, and I, I listened to one, and I thought, yeah, no, this, this, is, this is all right. This is, this is quite cool, you know, easy going. I could have it playing on in the shop and work at the same time, you know. Mm-hmm. This was a novel thing. I'm, I'm, I'm a technophobe. I'm, I'm so behind everybody else. It's unbelievable. But, yeah, so I, I found I could work in the background with these things coming on, and, and literally within about a space of uh, a week, I think I downloaded up to this point. They've been going for about two years, uh, like 20-odd episodes, and I'll just, like, listen to them all back-to-back. I just, you know, all of a sudden, I just kind of had something stirring inside me thinking, this was quite cool in the sense of, you know, stirring of, like, interest in vintage Star Wars that I'd not had for a while because it was always based around the acquisition of things and it didn't have to be like that at all, you know. I, I could kind of be interested in this stuff without actually having to physically buy it. And I then started looking around a couple of the forums and I just thought, you know what, because those guys done that, we don't really have that in the UK and you guys are not doing this with the, the, the podcast now. But I thought I'd just like start a show because I was looking back to the point when I was most into Star Wars and it was pre-internet, you know, you used to go to these shows and be in yeah. dingy halls and things like that and it was so super cool because you physically had to pick up the stuff and look at it and you made that judgment call whether or not if you wanted it or not. Yeah. Now it's too easy, you go on eBay. The whole AFA thing, I'm not an AFA guy uh, and I just don't understand the appeal. I can see why people do it. But it's like you're taking someone else's opinion over an item, not sure. your own. And I, I felt that, you know, we don't have that at all here in the UK and where I do shows, you're finding less and less vintage storeholders at some of the big events. So I thought I'd put this together and we did the first one, similar day to day, pissing down with rain. It seems to freaking rain at every single one of these that we do. But um, yeah, and it, it seems to have gone down well. It's, 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 it's nice and it's building... Uh, relationships with people, you know, yeah. uh, everybody like converses online and they're getting to like put, you know, f- uh, names to faces uh, and hopefully that then gels a bit better. Uh, we try and like put things together that are, even if you haven't got any money, like me, you can come along and you can learn something. So we have people like doing uh, panels and talks yeah. um, and we've had some cracking ones over the years. And I just want more and more people to engage with it. I don't, I really don't care what people talk about as long as it's something related to Star Wars Vintage and that they're passionate about yeah. because that's really what sells it more than anything else. So yeah, it's, it's kind of gone from there really, snowballed. Yeah, we were we were fortunate enough to have uh, Paul Bateman here this time. Yeah, speaking about the you know his relationship with Ralph Macquarie and the great stuff that Ralph did for for Star Wars. But um, I was also looking back through and uh, remember uh, Fathers from One, which is in September 2012. He did the. Pally toy presentation. Yeah. Which was, uh, and then you were, did you discuss? Was that when you discussed the uh, the relationship between sort of action force? Nah, that that one that was actually the second show because that was ah, right. when Gus and Duncan came yeah. down. Because I deliberately held back on that one because I wanted to show those guys 
how Star Wars was incorporated into a British toy line. Action Force is always seen as just like the British version of G.I. Joe, but yeah. there was like unique things like the Palatoy design team, incorporating elements of Star Wars parts and bits and pieces yeah. in, in, in those mouldings. Uh, and it's not really acknowledged or understood. Yep. So, but all of a sudden, if you're opening up this like Pandora's box of like, all of a sudden you've got all these things that people can see that they went on. It's like, oh wow, that's cool. I want to get that for my own collection. So yeah, that, that, was, a, that was a cool one. Yeah, I remember the, was it the ATST uh, lid? Yes, on, on the sea line, which is yeah. a, a two-man submarine. And then between the two cockpits, there's like a little engineering hatch, and that's like the, the, the hatch of the ATST. And you've got uh, a space vehicle called the Satellite Defender, which on the underside has got a Millennium Falcon radar dish molded into it. So, And they've got G.I. Joe parts molded in. So it's, it's a complete Frankens, Frankenstein yeah. of Palatoy stuff, Hasbro stuff, and... Kenner stuff, which if either Hasbro or uh, Kenner were aware of that, they probably wouldn't have been too happy because no. at that point in time they were bitter rivals. Yeah. So uh, it's it's kind of cool to sort of see that built in. Uh, another uh, interesting thing that you've introduced, I think that was from the second Fathers from the Chad uh, Gus and Duncan Dan, uh, which the was the the <laughs> sea. The Pie Man. <laughs> yeah, the Pie Man was a good thing, but also the. the you had the trading cards, but you also had the flocked figures. What are flocked <laughs> figures? That's my twisted way of giving someone a memento of the day should they want to come down. So the idea was um, to just look at an existing toy, alter it in some way, create uh, something there that then just gives people a chance to like, purchase should they want. So working with one of the traders here, Ian, supplying loose figures, and then we get them flocked. So flocking, for anybody who's not aware, is the process of electrostatically charging bristles onto glue, and then once that dries, it stays in place. And you normally find this on, like, for British guys, action man heads, so that's like a flocked uh, head. For the US guys, that's like your lifelike real hair on your 12-inch G.I. Joe. But you sometimes find it in, like, dolls and things like that. Uh, but we, we started, like, abusing old vintage figures and creating Admiral Flock Bar and Flock Backer and a couple of other characters and things like that. So it's, it's just a silly way of... Um, you know, for folk that kind of, you know, just want to get something to remember yeah. the day. And 20 years down the line, it'll probably be sold on eBay for $50 million. And I'll be <laughs> kicking myself because I gave them all away or something <laughs> like that. But I, I don't know. But it's just one of those things that's just a, just a nice little keepsake for, for anybody who's into that sort of stuff. Yeah, brilliant. We, we always have, you always make an effort with, to have loads of guests here. Like we've had Jedi News, uh, lots of presentations. Like we had uh, Chris Caswell did the three packs. That was awesome. That was, yeah, wasn't that just amazing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had uh, Lee Bullock doing the 12-inch figures. Lots of uh, always stuff going on. Lots of artists come in and either do sketches live or sell paintings. There's always there's so much variety going on here. Last Father's Farm, which is back in December 2013, you brought a surprise out for everyone. Uh, could you talk about that surprise? Yeah, it was uh, Lee Bullock coming out of the closet. Uh, that's that's what I hear. <laughs> yeah. Who could believe the Kurgan... Yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, I'm sorry, Lee, but uh, I know you're keeping that for the next show. But like, um, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, a piece of uh, rejected packaging that was tri-logo, a sheet of 30 cards 
that had been, uh, in terms of the print orientation on, on the reverse, one of the colours went in the wrong way, so it got rejected and it was used then to wrap up another piece of packaging, but uh, amazingly survived after all this time. And uh, yeah, pulled that out. Uh, it was kind of like, I didn't know, quite know how to, to approach that one, really. So just pulled it out at the end and yeah, folk... Folk loved it. Yeah, that was, and it had like you know you got the uh, the Luke Bespin tri logo on there. You got the Jawa tri logo cards. Some real stunning pieces on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's it's you can't really call it pre-production because it was a print. You know, yeah. it, it was it was meant to be cut up and used for backing cards and things like that. But the fact that it got shoved through the printer the wrong way round on the reverse and uh, one of the plates you know uh, it's, it's all come out weird looking on the reverse of the cards you know it, it's, it's it's a rejected unused packaging sheet but uh, the odds of this thing surviving as a result you know just been crazy uh, you know it's, and, and it's what from my side of things it's cool that even you know 30 plus years sort of down the line there's still things that can come out of the woodwork you know that people aren't expecting so I I, 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 re, I enjoy that side of things you know and, and if you can give people that you know something new to talk about then that's, that's always good the, uh, David another thing I'd like to uh, quickly talk to you about is you're also you said all the cool stuff which is a shop in Fordingbridge that you know, sells a lot of Transformers G.I. Joe's Star Wars all kinds of crazy stuff like a full spectrum of contemporary uh, toys and collectibles um, uh, but also you were behind what's known as the Paddy Toy Archive. Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> uh, therapy. Um, is that still going? Is that something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it, 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 it's still there. Paddy Toy Archive was um, born out of a assignment for Celebration Europe uh, back in 2000. For, for that show, it was 2007, but the, the work started back in 2006. Effectively, a friend of mine was the project lead for Celebration Europe. And uh, we were discussing about uh, creating content for that show that was unique to that show. So it wasn't necessarily a watered down versions of the celebrations that were held stateside. And that was my fundamental worry was that you had one shot at this, you know, one chance. And if it's not up to scratch, then, you know, it will limit the, the potential of success for future ones. So I put myself forward to create a toy exhibit, and at this point it's like celebrating 30 years of Star Wars. So a look back of where it came from and the idea of where it now is, you know, with the current Hasbro releases and things like that. So I signed myself up for this thing. Yeah, it was it was tricky because I thought it'd be straightforward. Uh, no one in the UK at that point has got every single thing, so I had to uh, call on the help of several collectors. And also, um, there was no historical information relating to Palatoy. I was having to like effectively create all these things, and all the different authorities that I was reaching out to, they were saying, well, no, we don't have any kind of records, but if you create some, we would really like copies, because it's wow. a gap. So it's like, a bit off more than I could chew. So... Uh, yeah, but the, 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 the event itself, come Celebration Europe, uh, everybody loved it. it. It was very well received. I was slightly frustrated because it wasn't what I envisaged and knew that could be done. So even after then, I then carried on the research, sort of talking to uh, people from back in the day, from you know, ex-employees to people, you know, toy shop owners and things like that, you know, just talking to them. And how they experienced working with selling not just goods of like Star Wars goods, but like Palatoy as a company as a whole. And yeah, it's just kind of been going on and on and on and on. And 
the ultimate aim will be a book, perhaps in some form or another, um, but uh, it's, it's effectively really to kind of collate all that information and put it there uh, so that it is recorded that should someone try and do a similar project down the line that they do have something that they can refer to, whereas when I started it, there was nothing, yeah, right. nothing there. Um, and But the, uh, the Palitoy archive, that's not just Star Wars now, that would be covering everything the Palitoy have done? Or? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it started off, the, the, the original objective was Star Wars, um, but now it, it encompasses uh, other products that Palitoy created and distributed, and in some sense, while we're talking about Star Wars here today, uh, there's a whole wealth of stuff related to Action Man, which is the the UK version of the 12-inch GI Joe. Yep. Um, and Action Force, because these are things that they were working on right up to the point where the the plug was pulled on them. So there's a lot of pre-production material and concepts and prototypes, and you know, some really really cool things to like you know uh, investigate and sort of like record on that front. So um, yeah, uh, but. You know, Palatoy was a, a doll maker, so they they got lots of different things that uh, you know you can cover within that. Yeah, because uh, you also do another father's from that's for Transformers, am I right? And GI yes, uh, Rollout Roll Call is a Transformer and GI Joe an action force show. So uh, yeah, we do that once a year, and that's kind of like merging those two brands together. Although they're not strictly just Palatoy. Uh, but Palatoy does have an influence in there. And one of the guests we had last year was Bob Breakin, who uh, best known for the G.I. Joe guy side of things. He, he's the guy who created the gripping hand. Um, wow. But from the Star Wars side of things, he's the engineer who created your Palatoy Death Star, the cardboard Death Star. Awesome. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, Dave, if anyone wants to hear about uh, Rollout Call or Father's From or the Palatoy Archive or all the cool stuff or anything else that you do, what would be the best way to contact you for this? Uh, probably the, the, the most enjoyable way, uh, because, you know, you can just check out and, uh, check out image galleries and things like that is Facebook. So all the cool stuff on Facebook, uh, Farthest From on Facebook and Rollout Roll Call on Facebook. They've each got their own dedicated pages, but Brilliant. then you get to see pictures from previous shows or like the shop and new, new items in stock and things like that. With Farthest From, we're trying to uh, keep a lot of updates that are relevant to Star Wars um, from back in the day within the UK. So, you know, people who are curious about these things, you know, they can go there and you know, just check out something that you might not find on other forums. Excellent. Well, Dave, just one more question, and I can leave you go. And this is the big question I normally ask you every week on the phone. When is the next Father's From? <laughs> uh, I'm hoping uh, there'll be something that we can do late summer, so around about, well, when I say late summer, um, around about July time. If not, then it'll be September, uh, which will mark two years of the first show. So Brilliant. Uh, and then we got one for December as well. So there's yeah. at least two more shows for this year, either July or September, and then December time. Dave, thank you for taking the time to speak to us today. Thank you for today as well. Uh, I always have a blast of Fathers From and look forward to uh, schnickles in the future. <laughs> no, thank you. Cheers, buddy. Cheers.
So there we have our uh, first interview with Dave Tree. Rich, do you have a question for us? Yeah, obviously it's got to be incredibly complex organising something like Father's Form. And I'm sure Dave puts a lot of time into it. He's, he's going to be very stressed. Do you think he actually realises how big a thing FF is to us and how much we really enjoy it? Do you think he can actually appreciate it? Because I would imagine he'd be pretty worn out and he'd be pretty tired. And perhaps he's even thinking, oh, why am I bothering doing this? Do you think he realises that it's one of the best things in the UK at the moment? Uh, that, that's a great question, Rich. In fact, I think it's a lot like if the uh, vintage Star Wars collectors were bands, then David Tree is the farthest from is like our Glastonbury. It, it's a great place to network, and now it's become more more interesting than just collecting. He, he really takes it to the next level. He gets guests in to do panels. There, you know, There's lots of artwork there. There's lots of dealers, lots of discussion, and it even goes on to the, the Saturday night before as well, where we do a little uh, a little pub call there in Fording Bridge and a, and a curry. It's such a, a family community event, you know. I, I really feel like I'm a part of a tribe when I go there, and that's all thanks to the hard work that Dave Tree puts in. You know, I think that it's not just Fathers From either. I mean, Dave Tree is a real pillar of our community, and he's also, you know, behind the Paddy Toy Archive as well. So Dave is constantly working all the time to try and create an environment in which we can have fun. I've got uh, so much respect for him for that. And um, there is another Fathers From on its way, Fathers From 6, which I believe is happening on the 27th of July. So hopefully uh, you guys on the forum, if you haven't been before, I know it sounds like it's a long way away, but trust me, it's worth it. It's great memories. I've managed to go to four out of five, and I, I'm, I'm gutted that I missed that one. And they just get better and better and better really looking forward to the next one so uh, a big up to dave grant obviously down on his father's from show he's got his shop what's his shop like is it all star wars based or is it covering other uh, bits and pieces do it it's got it it's got every, it covers just about everything there you've got girls toys that i don't even know trading cards transformers gi joe star wars it, there's there's everything there it, it, it's an absolute gold mine quite useful if you're not into your vintage father's from you can always pop across the road and uh, and check out a lot of the modern great thing is is that he's he's really created this community spirit i think that's that's the most important thing i've taken away from it, it it's not about going to this convention now to pick a fantastic you know there's a fantastic range of vintage toys they're not just star wars it's more about just meeting up with everyone and you know having a good time and catching up with familiar faces and and, and making so many new friends all the time i mean i love it and i just can't help but to reiterate if you have and being honestly make the effort you'll love it Grant I've heard that the next Father's From is going to contain a, a pretty rad presentation by uh, a fellow called Richard assisted by a fellow called Grant can you tell us a little uh, bit more about this or is it still in the process of being uh, constructed uh, apparently that's true I don't know Rich if you want to tell people what you're thinking about doing yeah sure vintage Star Wars is clearly defined in most people's mind it's the toys it's the play sets it's uh, the t-shirts and everything else but a lot of people don't take into consideration the EU. Now, I have a problem in that a lot of people think EU, Timothy's on, everything's exploded from 1990, 1991, 1992. Well, that's quite simply not true. There were EU novels way back in 77, 78 and 79. So Grant and I are going to do a talk and a panel on vintage EU. I'm going to take the novel side of it because that's where my passion lies. And I asked Grant if he would look at the comics because I believe that Grant has an interest in that. Is that correct, Grant? Uh, 
yeah, I'm, I'm going to focus on uh, collecting the comic. I'm talking to someone from the Star Wars community at the moment who's actually taking the time to read all the comics and loves them. Now, there's a couple hundred comics there, and I don't think even if I started now that I'd be able to read them all in time for the panel, but um, hopefully they can join us and talk about what's actually going on inside the uh, comic. But, uh, Rich, I'd like to ask you as well, how, uh, just as we're on the subject, how do you feel about the um, marginalization of EU? Last year, I remember putting a post on Star Wars Forum along the lines of, you can take away the Clone Wars, you can stop the uh, merchandise being released, but don't you dare touch the EU. And then obviously the announcement came, but by then, listening to an excellent podcast, which is Jedi Journals, and I'm sure many people are aware of Jedi Journals, um, we knew it was coming, and the announcement that's been made has not, and it certainly hasn't pushed everything aside, and equally it hasn't said everything that you've collected is is. Just they are putting, pushing things to one side in order to improve and make the films better, which really, that's what Star Wars is about. It's the films. And if it means that I'm going to have a new set of novels that are going to be better, they're not going to be restricted by what came in the past, then I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm more than happy running two timelines. Yeah, man. Well, well answered. I'm looking forward to the future as well on that one. Okay, moving on. Fathers from, Day 3 managed to get a special guest, which, who is Mr. Paul Bateman. Now, you guys might know Paul from Rebel Force Radio, which is no doubt there is probably the number one Star Wars fan uh, podcast in the world, and Paul is often on the on the podcast discussing all things Star Wars, especially relating to Ralph McQuarrie, uh, who Paul is, I hope he doesn't mind me saying, but he's almost like a, a protege of Ralph McQuarrie, and with all of the new Star Wars Rebels coming up, which is heavily influenced by Ralph McQuarrie and Episode Seven as well, it, it was just a real treat to be able to talk to Paul and discuss how he feels about the Star Wars collecting and um, and the future of Star. Star Wars. So here's an interview with Paul from Fathers From, and I just like to say a big special thank you, Paul, for allowing us to uh, conduct the interview. Paul Bateman, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Very welcome. Have you enjoyed your Fathers From? I have. Yes, it's been fantastic. You're meeting proper fans, you now really genuinely into Star Wars and love it, and it's nice to kind of be in a small venue that's really intimate and just kind of sit around with a bunch of people and chatting to, to, to people who, you know, instantly feel like your friends. It's great. Did you, uh, did you see any, any collectibles here that really caught your eye? or? Well, I'm not, I'm not really a massive collector, but, I mean, it's really nice to sort of see a bunch of uh, old stuff, you know. I mean, I, I make no secret of the fact that I'm seriously into the OT, you know. Although I like the prequels, I'm much, much more into, into the original trilogy. And it's great to just see all these vintage callbacks, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, no, I know Carl Newman's very passionate about that, but you know, for me, it makes me drool a little bit as well when you see a lot of them together. It's like, oh, oh, it's 1978 all over again. Definitely. You know, so, uh, yeah, cool. Do you have any uh, uh, memories from you know when these toys were just a, just a pound or two pounds in the shop? Any great memories yeah. of those? Yeah. Well, my, when Star Wars first came out, my parents owned like a little kind of craft shop. Wow. Uh, in the Midlands, and uh, my dad was an artist, and he used to you know paint pictures and make dolls' houses and things like that. And my mum was a seamstress. She used to make clothes and cushions and things like that. And they used to sell all that kind of stuff. And I think they were trying to instill a work ethic in me as a kid. And uh, I, I, they were like, oh, if you make something, we'll sell it in the shop. And then you can take the money and buy your own action figures, you know. So Brilliant I, idea. I, I used to draw, like, Muppet masks on cardboard, like old, old bits of you know, cornflakes packets and things like that. And then they'd put them in the shop and say, well, we'll try and sell them for 25 pence, you know. And then I'd come back, you know, after going skateboarding for a while, and they go, yeah, they, they're mask sold, you know. And I'm sure they were just, like, putting it in the bin and giving me 25 awesome. pence, you know. But uh, So, yeah, I remember working hard for my action figures as a little kid and 
just adoring them. I mean, when they first came in the shops, I didn't know they were coming. I remember seeing the, seeing them through the shop window and just like, going, <gasps> hurry up and open up, you know. I couldn't wait to get in that shop. So, can can you remember what your first action figure was? You know, I'm not sure. I think I mean, uh, you know, obviously the first twelve, I quickly got those. I think it might have been R2D2. I think. Right. I'm, I'm not sure. It was one of the, you know, one of. The, I mean, it could have been Luke. I can't remember. It's a long time ago now. Excellent. At the moment, you're um, you've done a lot of work for the Ralph Macquarie. That's what you're known mm-hmm. for, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. have you? Uh, what, what what stage are you with that now? Are you finishing books, or have you released books, or? Well, we've kind of like you know, occasionally we'll, we'll you know, um, there was a company called Dreams and Visions Press that was set up specifically to sort of promote you know Ralph and to publish a couple of books that were about Ralph. And uh, the founder of DMV is a gentleman called Stan Stice, who I used to do a lot of work for Stan uh, when Ralph was still with us. And uh, we'd all you know we'd all work on on stuff for the love of Ralph, and we'd, we you know we were very keen to kind of promote him and and. Uh, Make sure that kind of people knew how cool he was now, you know, how fantastic we thought he was, and and share share the love, you know. And, yeah. uh, so we we did a number of projects where we were still around, but uh, that's kind of died back a little bit since you know since we lost Ralph. But um, DMV still do do a heap of stuff, you know. But um, it's quite modest now, you know. We we, we don't want to be seen to be, you know. You know, people can take it the wrong way and think you're exploiting them, which was never what that was about. It was about providing for Ralph, you know. And um, so there, there, there are still things out there that we'd, we'd like to do to do with Ralph. And there are several projects in the works that we need to get permission to, yeah. to undertake because obviously we're not like a big, you know, multinational kind of organisation. And, and, and I'm only kind of like a, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy that can, kind of comes in and out of the flock, you know. Um, it's really kind of Stan's business. Um, but yeah, we, we do intend to do more stuff about Ralph, and uh, there's certainly Dreams and Visions have a Battlestar license at the moment. They're hoping to do okay. some stuff that relates to Battlestar down the road, but uh, we're not quite sure when we'll get around to, the, to doing that because obviously we all, we all do other things full time, so I'm not quite sure uh, what we've got on the cards. But and a Stan is always full of ideas, so I'm sure that by the time celebration comes around, there'll be some uh, unusual Ralph stuff on the way. He's, he's full of great ideas. So. The uh, celebration is that the one in Anaheim? Yeah, yeah. The, now, the, now we had a drink you. last night. Did uh-huh. I promise I was coming? <laughs> quite possibly, I don't know. I was tired. Oh. You were probably drunk, so I'm not quite sure. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I'm sure. You know, it's going to be one of those events that I think is. I, I if, think if you only do one celebration, I think then the next one is is going to be the the really cool one, you know, because obviously it's going to be the last one before episode seven lands and yeah. stuff like that. So I think I think lots of kind of cool stuff will probably be happening there. But well, you, you must be really excited because by the look of you know what Kathleen Kennedy has been saying and Dave Filoni that there's Ralph Macquarie is back in Star Wars in a big way with Rebels in episode seven. Are you noticing these things as the, the trailers are coming out now? And yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of like Rebels. Is you know, I was a big fan of the Clone Wars, and uh, you know, obviously a lot of the guys in the art department over at over at Clone Wars, you know, were huge, obviously huge Ralph fans. I mean, it's hard not to be a Ralph fan when you're a Star Wars fan, isn't it? For sure. But uh, and uh, so yeah, I mean, it's obviously Rebels is going to be full of Ralph influences, which I think is fantastic, and he would he would love that, you know. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that, you know, because I think like the further they get towards Ralph, the more Star Wars it feels to me, you know. Yeah. So. But uh, I mean, it's obvious that the, the sequel's been, you know, more in the Luke Skywalker kind of era. That's, I'm sure it's going to be a lot more Ralphy than uh, maybe the prequels were, you know. So, yeah, I think it's, it's good times all round. I think for people who love Ralph's art and love Star Wars. I mean, it's really exciting times, isn't it? We're going to get all these spin-off movies and everything else. I can't wait. You know, it's going to be well, very exciting. Paul, hopefully, we'll get to uh, march towards episode seven with you it's going to be a really exciting time for us star yeah. wars fans now yeah, yeah um if there's any kind is there any kind of vintage star wars item that you've always wanted and uh, you'd like our the people that listen to this podcast to keep an eye out for 
Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't abuse my my power, which the, I don't have any of. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. No, I'm not, not really. It's, it's you know, there are things that I love, but I would never, I would never throw that out there because it, it's times are hard. People work hard. They should be buying stuff for them for themselves because I think uh, you know a lot of collectors get a lot of fun out of, out of collecting, and, and uh, there's not a lot of stuff out there, is there? You know, like no. it's quite it's getting rarer and rarer. But and I've never really been much of a collector anyway, so I think people that love it should should get an opportunity to buy stuff, you know, rather than me just kind of collecting stuff and then paying it no attention. You know? Okay, no problem. Well, <laughs> well, Paul, listen, thank you. I know you don't do uh, many podcasts for everyone, and it's really a pleasure. Uh, I, well, it was you, definitely worth that point. You're welcome. Thanks, man. And, and uh, uh, it's really, really nice meeting you, and uh, I'd encourage everybody to go listen to Rebel Force Radio too, because lots of lots of fun to be had there, and they're, they're cool guys who know this stuff. So yeah, tell tell, uh, tell those guys there's a new there's a new vintage oh, UK yeah. podcast on its Absolutely. way, well, and we look forward to coming over to uh, Anaheim apparently. Uh huh. That would be good. And hopefully, uh, uh, meet the uh, the guys on the other side of the ocean. Yeah, it's, it's definitely worth doing. I mean, I would say to British fans who are thinking about going out to Anaheim. Um, it can, you know, the flights at that time of year can be extremely expensive, but don't let that necessarily put you off because you know there you can get accommodation quite cheap. But all I'd recommend to, to people who go over there, you know, it, it's worth kind of you know renting a condo or something like that. It's the cheapest way to do it. If you get like six friends, you can do it for like you know hundred pound each for a week. But um, but you know obviously if you're buying uh, if you get in hotel rooms, it costs you that a night. So. No, go go share, go with a load of friends. That's the way to do it. Definitely, definitely. Right. Well, Paul, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Nice and, to meet uh, you. Absolutely. Cheers, buddy. Well, that was a great interview with Paul, and uh, I really enjoyed it. We uh, actually had breakfast in the morning with Ben, if you remember this, Ben. I know that we were slightly hungover. With Mark Newbold as well from Jedi News, and we had a fantastic breakfast where we discussed all things Star Wars, including the relationship between X-Wings and Y-Wings and X-Chromosomes and Y-Chromosomes. So you could just imagine how awesome that breakfast was, especially that early in the morning. But yeah, it was a great time, and um, hopefully we'll see Paul at Father's from again soon. Grant, I've got a question about Paul's art. Now, this is coming from somebody who couldn't even draw a stick man with a template. What I would like to know is, is it possible for Paul to create art in the style of Ralph McQuarrie, or is it actually impossible to imitate that? And is Paul's art completely different, and if so, is that deliberate? To be honest, Rich, I think the only person who could answer that is, is Paul himself. But what I will say is that he does actually complete some of Ralph's unfinished work, and he's a real student of Ralph's. You know, Jason Joyner came down with a few sketches that he's managed to get from the Gary Kurtz archive to show Paul, and Paul was able to go through them and, and tell them instantly if he thought that they were works of Ralph's or of someone else's. So, yeah, he's more than just a student. He is definitely uh, the go-to guy when it comes to Ralph Macquarie, but I believe he publishes artwork for the Star Wars Insider, which I haven't picked up in years, but uh, definitely something maybe we should look into. Okay, finally here, I managed to get an interview with, with Mark Newbold, who's probably the, the pillar of Star Wars fandom. He's the co-owner, if that's the right word, with uh, James Burns of Jedi News, and I don't know if you guys have been catching up with Jedi News, but they are now by far the number one news source for Star Wars, and they just go from strength to strength. They've been on top of Episode Seven, on top of Rebels. And they just don't stop. I mean, Mark does so much work for Star Wars fandom. And uh, I'm so excited to have him on our very first show. And I think, you know, it, it, it steads us in, in solid ground. If we have Mark Newbold starting us off, that, that's just such a wonderful thing. So without further ado, I'd like to put on the uh, Mark Newbold interview. Right, really excited right now because I have uh, Star Wars fanboy Gold right here. None other than Mark Newbold. <laughs> 
Mark Newbold of Jedi News and Star Wars Insider and Radio 1138 Podcast and so much other stuff. Too much stuff. Mark, thank you for taking the time to speak with us at Star Wars Forum UK. Pleasure. Jedi News is turned into the number one source in the world for Star Wars news. How did that happen? <laughs> There's a question. I, I, I don't know. I think it kind of happened by accident in a way. Um, I used to do a site called Lightsaber way back when, for about 10 years, uh, and me and James decided to sort of pull our resources to do uh, like a new Jedi news, if you like. They'd been going a couple of years, um, and uh, I think I think with all the news that was going on, and, and uh, this was sort of back in 2010, so celebrations were strong, uh, Clone Wars was strong, you know, there was a lot going on, merchandise and all sorts of stuff, and me and James were both doing stuff for the Insider kind of even then. Um, it just it just kind of snowballed and we pulled a really good team together Matt Booker who's here today does a heck of a lot of stuff for us and, and Dave Tree's always helping out with things so we've just got a really good sort of network of you've done stuff on Jedi News you know we've got a really strong network of friends and, and, and sort of not staff that's not the right word but it's a team we sort of refer to ourselves as like Team Jedi News we've got guys in the States so and I'm the daily content manager so I guess my job is to sort of make sure things go on at the right time and, and pulling things in uh, and I'm fortunate in my job in that I'm um, uh, my my day job is stock taking, which which is like any day, any hour, and thankfully it's not a nine to five, seven you know sort of five days a week job. So I can spend quite a lot of time at the computer doing stuff. So it's just kind of just it's developed in, in the nicest, most organic way, and it's it's really sweet for you to say that um, about Jedi News because um, we do put a lot of time and, and effort into it. Hopefully we hit the mark more than we miss. So, absolutely. I, I think I I forget how many times I log into Jedi News a day now, <laughs> and especially with the new films coming up, it's so yeah. exciting. Oh wow, yeah. And uh, you know, like I said to you when I was drunk in the pub last night, if Lucasfilm are listening, you should have a role in the film, definitely for your hard work. <laughs> N- not Luke Skywalker, but no. you know, you know, a stormtrooper would be fine. Don't you think? I'm not? too tall for a stormtrooper. I'm not tall enough for a Wookiee. Uh, mm. I'm not flexible enough for a droid. I, I don't know what I'd be. I, I, I'm sure I'd, I'll, I'll carry a flag at the start of a pod race. That'll, that, that'll do. That'd, that'll be, be great. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, the Star Wars Forum UK is about uh, vintage Star Wars collecting, and I know you're a fan of the vintage stuff as yeah. well. Do you collect Star Wars vintage still? I, as a kid, back in the 70s when it all came out, I was getting them all first sort of first generation fan sort of thing. So I collected loads of stuff as a kid. And my best friend at the time, who's still my best mate now, we've known each other since we were three, so going right back, he had a heck of a collection. And over the years, you know, while my interest has never wavered, really, it's ebbed and flowed, I guess, to be fair, with with, with, with the years. But but uh, he kind of dropped away from it a little bit. So about two years ago, he, he sold me his collection, wow. which meant I inherited all the cool toys I used to play with as a kid that were his. So now I've got most of the vintage, not carded sadly, I wish they were, but an awful lot of the ships and stuff are boxed. So whilst I've collected the newer stuff, the newer sort of Hasbro stuff, uh, my interest in them is, is, whilst there's some really gorgeous stuff, don't get me wrong, is far, far less than that, that vintage era. Uh, and being at something like Farthest From, you know, it's like you just walk around, and apart from the fact it's nice seeing guys like yourself and seeing familiar faces and friends and catching up and shooting the breeze about what's going on, it's just awesome looking at all the older... You know, and it, I mean, in the weird way, even though Farthest From, for example, doesn't cover the, the prequel era, it's funny. I mean, we were just talking about that that 
Walker's crisp standing out, that's yeah. starting to feel like, it's not, but it's starting to feel like vintage because it's like, that's 15, 16 years ago and back before the prequels, you were going back that far yeah. to, to the classic era. So, But um, yeah, just, just looking at some of the, the gear and the stuff, it's like, oh, you know, I forgot all about that. I haven't seen that for years or seen something boxed. It's like, it just melts your heart in the, in the nicest way because it takes you back to when you were a kid and it, there was so much less of it, which is neither better or worse. It's just what it was. But it was so much more innocent, you know, and you, you didn't give a monkeys about the price, you know. No. I mean, and I'm not a collector in the sense, in, in the way that some people are collectors, because being a, 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 a true, if you like, collector is, is a massive part of Star Wars and a massive knowledge base just in and of itself. And I, I'm kind of on the periphery of that. I, I, I know what they're talking about, but there's details and, and people and info that is way beyond my knowledge base. But I get a real kick out of listening to the conversations because it's everyone's just as passionate about it as any other aspect. So I do get a kick out of vintage, yeah. Now, now, am I right in saying that you also uh, write a blog for StarWars.com? Yeah. And some of your recent posts, that's been about a lot of vintage, what we call oddball yeah, yeah. stuff. Yeah. Is there? A, 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 is there, what have you actually covered there? Good question. Um, was it the Marvel comics? Was one? I did the Marvel comics. Well, I do a little thing when when I can, and it doesn't apply to everything. But when I can, I do a thing called Star Wars in the UK, just focusing on the UK aspect of collecting. So I did a little run about, you know, what it was like to be a Star Wars fan in the UK back in the day, and then through the dark times, which we yeah. talked about last night, uh, and just various other things. I'm pretty much up to Phantom Menace now, so I'm going to do Clones and Sith and get that all wrapped up. But yeah, I've, I've done uh, the, 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 you know, the smelly rubbers that you used to get the yep. erasers, that, as the Americans call them. Actually, I, I submitted that piece and I called the article Rubber Empires, and of course they wouldn't let me use that title, so they changed it. <laughs> I did a piece about the Lions made ice cream wrappers. Fantastic. A really big yeah. thing there. Um, it made me smile. I, I know you're working on an article. Uh, I won't say what it is because I don't want to spoil it, but um, I'm working on a very similar piece. From, and so great minds think alike. So that was kind of cool. Um, what else have I done? Um, uh, lollipops, rubbers, annuals, which we mentioned. Um, oh wow, what else did I do? Uh, oh, um, the uh, all the smelly stuff like the the shampoos and, yep. the, and all the, the the wash stuff. And the latest one that I did was the toothbrushes. Oh wow! Which I'm actually I'm actually in the, in the twisted way. I'm, I'm I'm the most proud of that one. Not because I think it's any better or worse than any other articles, but uh, I, I got right to the end of the piece and I thought, right, what am I going to call this article? I'd always try and come up with something a bit weird, and uh, I ended up. Um, what did I call it now? I gave it some title. It was it was okay. It was all right. And I was just about to hit send, and then suddenly it struck me the article for for Star Wars toothbrushes. Star Wars toothbrushes should have been, and it is the Empire Strikes Plaque. Ah, oh, incredible! I'm so pleased. I was like, that yeah. is outstanding. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I should write for the Sun. <laughs> no, you're far better than the Sun. <laughs> um, with the with the toothbrushes, were that just toothbrushes in the UK? No, it was. I, I wanted it to be because I want to do another Star Wars in the UK one pretty soon, and the next one will be hopefully, but uh, or the one after the next one. But um, no, it was it, it covered. Uh, it covered the world really because I didn't realise because I, I have a passing knowledge and a passing interest in all these things and last year I, I'm lucky, very lucky uh, I got to visit Rancho Obi-Wan and, and yeah. when you go there 
if you go into upstairs into the museum, I mean, Steve's got a, a, a toilet up there, and when you go into the toilet, you know, there's like a, a painted toilet seat on the wall of Boba Fett with the Sarlacc pit and all this, and, and then you look around the corner and he's got two sort of massive shelves of racking, and it's all the toothbrushes, all the smellies and shampoos, wow. all that sort of gear, beautifully laid out. I thought, wow, that's, that'd be an interesting thing to talk about, and just blew me away looking at all the stuff that was there. Um, but no, they, when, when Star Wars came out, I think pretty much from all from the research that I did, and I'm not I'm not even pretending to pass off that it's an in-depth look. It is just a snapshot of what was out there. So there there may well be stuff out there that I didn't pick up on. But um, you know, all I could see from my research was that they did an electric toothbrush for Star Wars. Kenner made an electric mm-hmm. toothbrush, and so I did a little piece about that. And then when Empire came out, as you mm. know yourself, you know Empire had far less merchandise than Star Wars because back in the day nobody trusted sequels. Sequels were like an inferior, oh let's cash in quick whilst it's still hot sort of attitude. Of course, Empire broke that mould completely because it was it was in many people's opinion, a step up from the original. But there wasn't as much merchandise, so for Empire, all they did was they basically put new stickers on and reboxed it as an Empire electric yeah. toothbrush. When you get to Jedi, Jedi was like Phantom Menace. It was like everything had to be turned the Jedi on it. Biscuits, slippers, knickers, toothbrushes, you know, you name it, they stick a Jedi sticker on it, and out it went. So there was loads of Star Wars, uh, Star Wars Return of the Jedi toothbrushes, and that range... It's gorgeous, but the nice thing I found doing a little bit of research there was, you know, you had a, a UK... It was all pretty much all Oral-B. Oral-B, yeah. You know, you had a UK one, you had a Canadian one, which was a tiny little bit different, a French one with the French logos on it. Is this the electronic toothbrush? No, no, no these are just your basic your standard normal toothbrushes. Did, did you find the electronic Return of the Jedi version? I didn't. I didn't know this existed, yeah. and I believe it was a mail away. Okay. But uh, I never knew it existed until about mo- a month or two ago. Was it a similar look to the it was Star Wars a, Empire? It was the same one. Oh, there you go. But it was in a white box, I think, as okay. a mail away. Yeah? Yeah. So so. I'll have to do a little addendum at the bottom. Yeah, maybe. I, do you know what? I better check out uh, my research. I'll email you about I'll tell that. you what I did find. I'll tell you what I did find. And it might be the same thing, actually. It's quite cool talking about this. Um, one thing I found, they did six toothbrushes, so there was you know all the colours of the rainbow, all the different characters. That you know the, the Leia one was unusual because on the box art it was Leia in her Endor outfit, yes. but there was a dress. But on the actual toothbrush, it was in a poncho. The the oh, rebel really? outfits are slightly different, but all the others were the same. And if you got the six, and I think this was it was either in the US or Canada, it was one or the other. If you got the six and you got the little coupons and you sent them off, you did get a white toothbrush. But what it was, it was just a normal toothbrush. But it was, um, it was the, the, it was basically the ghost of Anakin and Ben. The Jedi Masters. But it was airbrush painted. Yeah. It was absolutely beautiful and mega hard to find, like you yeah. say. It might be that that we both that we're thinking of. But it was just so fascinating. And then there, there was, um, uh, they did a, a, it was really cute actually. You know, obviously when when Ewoks the cartoon came out and Caravan of Courage was hot and the, the Ewoks were like mega big deal. The comic was out. Marvel were doing the Star comic. They did a Wicket the Ewok electric toothbrush, which was just basically like a carved tree with the Wicket the Ewok logo and and Wicket wrapped around the tree. Uh, And as far as I could tell, that was the last of the vintage line. I know for for the prequels, they did loads of toothbrushes, but I think really, as you say, being vintage kind of guys, I I want to more focus on the older stuff on on that blog anyway. So, but... uh, yeah, it's fun. I do like doing those those uh, those pieces because they are just a little bit left to centre and yeah. And, and you know, it's it's a lot of kids that read StarWars.com now because I would imagine it's the first point of call for a lot of newer fans, knowing that there's a StarWars.com that there's stuff on there. Um, it just seemed like a nice link back to because 
people, the guys like us who were always going to be into it, if we were ever going to fall away from Star Wars, it would have happened. It's not going to happen. Um, luckily, we, you know, we, we drink the Kool-Aid and we like it, so we're, we're hooked for life. It's nice to remember what's come before, and it's interesting to see what's coming up. And I'm looking forward to seeing what merchandise comes up as well, because one, one thing I loved about the vintage era... Uh, you know the card backs, for example, on those vintage figures. You know they, uh, the cards themselves. You know they had that that's very stylistic. You know the Star Wars logo, the Empire logo, Jedi logo, and then Tri logo, and there was a, a, a look to it. But all across the range of various articles and items, books and other toys and other releases, it felt it felt very unique to that particular product. Whereas now you'll get, um, they'll say, right, this year all of our Star Wars toys are going to have a Darth Vader logo on it. And so everything's kind of branded the same. Mm-hmm. You know, where for me, I think the only thing that you need on it that's that's going to say, this is Star Wars, is a logo that reads Star Wars. And everything else should feel a bit more unique. So there's a, there's a uniformity across the brands now that I think takes something away from the packaging. Whereas, and, and you know, again, there's something gorgeous about Packaging, just the packaging is, is something enticing about that above and beyond the actual toy or, or whatever the collectible might be. I hope they go back to that, yeah. that kind of feel. But they, they seem to with the modern line, which I was hoping when Power of the Force 2 came out in 1995, I, thought they, I was hoping they would continue the vintage look. Yeah. But recently they have gone yeah. back and done a vintage line yeah. and the, is it the gentle giant big figures? They reflect yeah. the oh, original. Yeah. So, you know, there's obviously a market out there. So, And there's a lot to be said for, I mean, Star Wars is, all of Star Wars, even the new stuff, there's a nostalgia about it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, there's no other license that can make me feel nostalgic when it's new. Yeah. You know, and maybe Star Trek. I'm a bit of a sap for Star Trek, I've got to say. But but there's nothing else that really you just makes you think back, because nothing else has, has ever, you know, visually, audibly, t- tactile, every sense makes me feel as nostalgic and gooey and, and childlike as Star Wars. And 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 you know, you say about Jedi news, you know. We'll be, you know, as a team working on the site. I do. I wouldn't even like to count the hours I spend on Jedi News a week. It's certainly more than my full-time job. I'm amazed my wife hasn't kicked me out. You know, it's too much. But I love it. And of course, because I'm writing for the magazine and the blog, and you know, there's a there's a work aspect to that as well. Um, but you're always thinking about it. Being here at Farthest From, you're talking. You know, we were talking last night. I've been talking to Dave and Matt, and I've just done a talk with Paul Bateman on on the on the stage about Ralph McQuarrie. That's fantastic. And it gets you thinking about. And I was I went a little bit dry halfway through because I couldn't think of. A, I went, I knew what I wanted to ask, but I couldn't think of the the way of, of saying it. But you know, you, you're thinking questions as he's so full of thoughts on Ralph and his own thoughts on Star Wars. And, and another thing I love about Star Wars as well is that you don't ha- you know you don't have to agree. You, you when we we were talking last night you were coming at Star Wars from an angle in of you've done a degree in film and you're looking at Star Wars from a, a different perspective as I'm looking at it from just a flat out you know got on the ground floor and up and I've got no technical or specific knowledge in that respect you know so we're all looking at things from a different point of view I love that about Star Wars is that I, I think that the analogy I would make is that a lot of other sci-fi or movie properties, it's like looking at a two-dimensional circle on a table, and you can look at a little slice of that pie, but that's how you're looking at it. But Star Wars is a 360-degree sphere, and you can attack that Death Star from any angle you like, because there's so many entry points to Star Wars, and there's so many opinions, and no one opinion's right. That's you know, right. The guy, the guy who says Greedo shot first is just as right as the guy that says, actually, they shot at the same time. 
You know what I mean? I'm not sure about that one, you know Mark. What I'm saying, but I know what you're saying. You know what I'm saying the, but all of those versions you, you are know, out there. You know, for me, Han definitely shot first. I'll show you. Know, we're we're shaking hands on that one. I totally agree. <laughs> and, and we know the reason why because that whole yeah. we talked about it. That whole Han Solo redemption arc. It, it's ruined by Han not shooting first. But but what what else makes you think like that? What are the property gets those juices flowing and and you know and and again with Star Wars you can you can talk about it. You can disagree. I can say, I can see the merits of it, there being a Hayden Force Ghost at the end of Jedi, and you can say, no, no sir. there isn't. <laughs> we can shake hands and, and Absolutely. agree. You know what I mean? It's, it's all good. We'll be stuff. talking about it in a retirement home. Yeah. No doubt, no yeah. doubt about that. Oh, yeah. um, the the Star Wars uh, Empire Strikes Back electronic toothbrush, it was one that recently sold on eBay for $750. Wow. You were discussing about the nostalgia, even now, of episode one. Yeah. Um, Will my Jar Jar Binks toothbrush holder ever be worth $750? It will, if you put a carded Empire Strikes Back toothbrush inside it. Ah, perfect. <laughs> there you go. Well, listen, Mark, uh, hopefully we'll have you as a regular on the podcast. I know you do thousands of other podcasts. Um, if, is there, this is a question I like to ask. Yeah. Is there a vintage item that you are looking for that maybe you know people listening to this podcast could uh, keep an eye out for you? That's a great question. Um, a vintage article, a vintage item. Um, wow, caught me on the hop there. I'm sure there must be. Um, I like all the little, the little fiddly. James always called James Burns. He always calls it ephemera, all the little flighty little bits. Whenever he goes to a convention, I say just pick up any little bits of paper and, and little yeah. posters and little odds and sods. And I love all that sort of stuff. Not not the not necessarily the big things or the obvious things. It's the little weird things. So it's it's always the little odd. Little grievely, I tell you what, I would. I'm, I've been looking for for ages, and it's a weird one. I've got Empire Strikes Back on eight track, but I haven't got Star Wars. Yeah. So I'm trying to find Star Wars on eight track. Star Wars on eight track. Keep track. And do you also? Am I right in saying you're looking for Star Wars on Betamax? Yes. Well done. Yes, Star Wars. So if anyone's listening to this, contact <laughs> Mark at Jedi News, and uh, hopefully we can find those pieces for you, buddy. Fleece me. Yeah. Leave me dry. <laughs> You know, I think the I think the beat max is worth about ten thousand pounds. You'll be fine. Ten thousand, yeah, go on then. Yeah, Give that. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much. Uh, I can't believe on our first podcast we have caught the biggest fish in the sea. No, you haven't. And um, <laughs> and uh, you know, hopefully we'll have you on again. To, yeah. I would like to wish you the best, and uh, I really look forward to uh, joining you uh, as we march towards episode seven. Oh yeah, gonna be a good journey. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, Grant. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Well, that was, a, that was a fantastic interview there from Mark. I download lots of different podcasts, and I always hear him on the podcasts uh, all the time, and hopefully we can have Mark on again. He does so much unbelievable work for the Star Wars community, and he's, you know, he's, he's really interested in the vintage stuff as well, so it'd be, I think it'd be great to have him back on at some time and maybe probe him more about the, the kind of stuff that he collects that's vintage and the, and the stuff that he's interested in. Uh, he's done a few blogs recently, like he mentioned in the interview, on StarWars.com, did one about erasers as well, which is something I'm I'm interested in. What what a start to have Dave Tree, Paul Bateman, Mark Newbold. I mean, that was a fantastic start for us. And and next month we've got another four interviews from Fathers From, including uh, Jason Smith, Mr. Palitoy. We've got Gary Mancini as well, who's who's making a, a film at the moment called Binding the Galaxy Together, I believe. Uh, we've got Christian from GW Acrylic. And Lee Bullock is also coming on the show to talk about 12-inch dolls or action figures, I believe he calls them. But yeah, great stuff. It's a lot of fun, and hopefully the more interviews we do, 
the better we'll get. Uh, there are a few more uh, conventions coming up, which I'm really excited about. On the 8th of June, there's the Norwich Sci-Fi and Film Convention, which uh, we went there last year, and these guys have done a fantastic job. So looking forward to that. They've also got a few guests there, including Juan Mothma, Caroline Blakiston. It's London Film and Comic Con coming up, which is a big one. That's in the uh, that's in July, 11th to 13th of July. And they've got Ian McDermott, who played the Emperor there, and Lando Calrissian himself, which is really exciting because I've always wanted to meet Billy D. On a personal note, the Hay and Y uh, Book Festival has a special guest there of Carrie Fisher. She's in the UK film in episode seven, and she's going to discuss Star Wars as well as Postcards from the Edge and Wishfully Drinking. I think was a, another project that she did. But I'm really excited because Carrie Fisher is now 25 miles away from my bedroom, even though it is in my mother's house next to my action figures. But you never know. <laughs> well, you enjoy your stalking, Grant. Um, I just want to mention another event which is close by to me in Herne Bay. Uh, Sci-Fi by the Sequel. Uh, they did one of these last year in Herne Bay called Sci-Fi by the Sea. And after last year's success, they've decided to bring it back. It's on Sunday the 15th of June on Father's Day. It's 11am till 5pm. And although it's not purely Star Wars, they do have Star Wars related things there. They've got a full-size speeder bike. Um, R2-D2 and C-3PO will be wandering around a few non-star war related things they've got the 1966 batmobile from the tv series there a 35 foot mr Puff from ghostbusters daleks they've got a bumblebee car and they've got the original thunderbirds puppets they've also got a series of characters uh, doing some signings they've got uh, david prowse of course darth vader they've got femi taylor tim rose pam rose Alan Fling, Ken Coombs and Peter Roy, all from Star Wars, as well as Chris Barry and Hattie Haywidge from Red Dwarf, and Doctor Who's Colin Baker and Paul McGann. Um, amongst them, they've got, also got toy stalls, laser tags, food and drinks. So, sounds like a great day out for the family. You're thinking of doing something for Father's Day? Look no further than this. If you're interested in this, you can go to www.baypromoteam.co.uk forward slash sci-fi by the sea where you can purchase tickets as well as look at exactly what is on that day. You can go to www.facebook.com forward slash sci-fi by the sea Herne Bay or follow them on Twitter at sci-fi by the sea. Star Wars Forum UK is clearly the heart of our community, and in this section we will be delving into the threads that have really caught our eye. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. The first thread we're going to be looking at was posted up by Forum member Jez. Uh, it's titled The Best Competition This Year, if you want to go on and look it up. And uh, Richard, you've been looking at this one. One of the things that I love about Star Wars Forum UK is the community spirit. When I joined, I think I joined in the August, and I entered one of the competitions that regularly run in the September, and a couple of guys on there weren't too happy. Uh, I believe in the past that one or two members have joined the forum, entered a competition, perhaps won a prize and disappeared. And I really didn't want to do that, and I was a bit worried that I was viewed in that light. So in October, I actually created a competition, and it was very successful, and they've been running quite regularly throughout my time at Star Wars Forum UK. A competition that I want to highlight is Jez's competition. 
Jez is a machine. He's basically a younger Terminator, and he is running 30 miles ultra cross country, which is it's absolutely crazy. If everybody understands what 30 miles is, I ran a marathon myself, and we, we know what 30 miles is, but cross country that is extreme. So I encourage everybody to go online and have a look at what this actually entails. Now he's running in memory of Lee Rigby, and I'm sure we all know who Lee Rigby is. And the charity that he's raising money for is the SSAF which is the, the Soldier, Sailors, Airmen, Families Association and they have a website www.ssafa.co.uk so if anybody's interested in what they do I really think that you should go and check on that website to see what Jez is raising money for if you'd like to make a donation, Jez has set up a Just Giving page, and the information for that is on the forum. But you could also text to Jez, which is J-E-Z-A-69, okay, so that's Jez A 69 followed by a pound sign and your amount to 70070. Even one pound going towards this charity when put together with everything else away from the forum will make a massive difference. Now, so far, we have seven prizes. We've got a fantastic canvas from TC14, Martin, who often creates these wonderful palatoy canvases. And I'm not sure exactly what canvas is making this time, but I'm sure it'll be fantastic. Ian stepping up the plate again, as he does for all competitions, and has promised some kind of vintage item, which will be fantastic. Todd's TIE Fighter Boy, always keen to get involved in the forum. He's offering a vintage custom figure which is always top quality Jedi Masters who also had a similar competition which we'll talk about uh, soon he is promising some card backs Frank and Lorraine now if you haven't seen one of these pyro art creations that Lorraine does you really must go on the forum and have a look at them they are absolutely fantastic I've got a FET and an R5D4 pyro art that is amazing I think I, I may actually bring it down to Father's Farm just so that those who haven't seen them before can actually look look at them. Yeah, you will not believe that they were not done with a template. These are done freehand. Absolutely fantastic. And I believe that if you contact Frank for a small amount of money, £20, £25, I think I paid for mine, uh, Lorraine will create some kind of pyro art for you. Ian, who goes by I think it's Booty Hunter, he's donating a framed film cell, which uh, is also cool. And Mark, who goes by Sub-Level Studios, he's promised either a t-shirt from wheelofine.com or some kind of print from another website. Jez is aiming to raise £1,000, which he should easily smash. I encourage everybody to donate even a pound, but as much as I can. There are 15 entries for the competition. Jez's competition ends on the 14th of June. He doesn't actually mention that in the forum, so Jez, if you pick this up, can you, can you edit your post? And I believe we would expect the competition to end sometime around there. Okay, so that's the 14th of June. I just, just want to say as well, uh, no, come on guys, let's, let's get behind Jez on this one, you know. It's a really important charity that he's working for. Safa do a lot of work for people, for families of soldiers, for soldiers that have gone out to international deployment and come home. So it's a really well worth charity to support. And I just want to wish Jez a really, you know, the best of luck with it. And, you know, let's make that thousand pounds. Let's, let, let, let's get it up there. There is another. Following on from the, the charity thing, in the forum, I'd like to mention Jedi Masters Chris's massive effort recently in uh, running the London Marathon, which was another competition that was on the forum to raise money for Chris's charity, as well as a lot of money that he raised off his own back. Basically, Chris has made a pledge to raise £250,000, you heard that correctly, quarter of a million pounds for uh, a charity called Raft, which are a charity that specialise in 
funding research to help people with skin cancers, burns and amputations and other skin abnormalities. I think this is a charity that he's uh, is quite close to his heart. So he uh, ran the London Marathon. He managed to raise an impressive £2,783 and one penny. I'm not sure who the, uh, the odd one penny came from, but um, he managed to raise that money, which was well over his £2,500 target for this particular part of his fundraising effort. And we had a great competition on the forum. TC14 Martin did three fantastic canvas prints that were given away to the three closest people to guessing Chris's marathon time which was 5 hours, 32 minutes and 6 seconds. And also a couple of the other guys chipped in with some, some additional prizes that he did. He drew names, basically, for everyone that had donated and they had three other prizes that were given. So basically, just uh, well done to Chris for his fantastic effort. Um, well done to the forum for helping him reach his target. And uh, well done to the guys who donated prizes. A great thing to do. Yeah, I just want to say as well, well done, Chris, man. I think everyone's really proud of you, and uh, great job, man. Well done. Look forward to seeing you hopefully in Norwich on at the beginning of June, and uh, we can celebrate that one in style. Yeah, I just want to echo what the guys have just said. So much admiration for both Chris and Jez. Amazing um, feat that they're both doing. So please, please log on to the forum or any of the other ways that Richard went through and support both these guys and their efforts. Uh, it's a huge achievement. Yeah, let's get behind them. Grant is going to continue with the next thread then. Um, it's a thread that Palatoy78 made about the vintage comics that he's been collecting. Yeah, Lee, Lee's done really well for himself. He decided to start picking up some Star Wars comics, and um, he's, he's managed to get a hell of a deal, actually. There's approximately 300-odd uh, Star Wars comics. He's, all, he's managed to pick up almost all of them, uh, minus maybe about 15 for £125. And what, what's also fantastic about this is he's managed to get the free gifts that come with them, which is, which is a lot harder to get. A lot of the comics came with things like transfers and posters and stickers. So uh, he's managed to get a serious bargain there. Lee's also gone on as well to investigate how to display and protect these items. And if you actually go and read his thread, he's got a link there to where to get backing boards and comic boxes and bags. And apparently the comics are a size E, which is something I didn't know. There are a lot of UK Marvel Star Wars comics. It started off in February uh, 1978. And Star Wars ran weekly from issues number one to about 117 before it transferred over to the Empire Strikes Back. Empire ran weekly from issues 118 to 139 and then went mon monthly from issue 140 to 158 before then returning to Star Wars. Star Wars Monthly then ran from 159 to 171 and then uh, they reset the, the numbering system then from for Return of the Jedi from no uh, numbers 1 to 155. Now, none of these comics are really that difficult to get uh, some of the Star Wars monthly ones and some of the uh, last of the Return of the Jedi ones as easy as uh, as a lot of them it's a big steal he's got there and uh, you know congratulations to Lee on that knowing Lee as I do it'd be interested to find out if he's actually going to chase after the Ewoks and Droids comics I, I can't see it myself but it'd be an interesting turn of events to find out if he does and he's done it the right way as well if you decide to start collecting Marvel UK comics it's a good idea to buy them in bulk 
and just buy bulk, loads of bulks of them. And when you get doubles, just upgrade the ones you already have in your collection and sell the bulk on. And uh, it's a bit like collecting trading cards. It can become uh, quite addictive, especially when you get down to the last few numbers. You know, the OCD kicks in and you have to find Return of the Jedi issue 138. You see, you start spending far too much time on eBay hunting these uh, comics down, but they're, they're fantastic. I'm hoping to actually do a, a panel at Farthest From 6 in July about the uh, Marvel UK comics and also uh, not for next month's podcast but for the podcast in July I'm thinking, I'm th- thinking about going into uh, more depth about it but uh, yeah you know congratulations on Lee he's, done a, he's got a big steal there and um, uh, well done on him just following on from that, Grant, um, obviously as a comic collector yourself, it's not something that um, I've, I've particularly ever collected, but how, how well collected are these comics? Is, is it something that a lot of people chase after or something that maybe people could look at as perhaps uh, something that they could, they could look to, to pick up a set at not a massive expense, um, give themselves a bit of a challenge? Uh, that's a good question, Ben. Uh, my experience is that no one gives a damn about these comics at all. You know, you can pick up bulks of them for little or no money all the time, and they do cost a lot in postage and packaging because if you buy 50 comics, it's like it's like buying a chunk of wood and having that sent to you. And I think that's unfortunate because they are great and they're a major part of Star Wars history. And when you actually get a big handful of them in your hands, you know, it does it does feel like you know it's proper seven, late 70s and early 80s. Real retro kind of stuff, crazy stories involving giant, gigantic green rabbits, really awesome stuff. So if, if you guys find that the, the mint on card and the loose figures are a little bit too expensive at the moment, uh, this is a good good thing to get into because they, they literally cost, well, just like Lee, you can get some bargains out there if you really look. And uh, it's good fun. So, you know, I would advise everyone to look into it and have some fun with it. But to answer your question, Ben, nope, no one seems to care. At least one person cares, Grant, in South Wales. Oh, yeah, it's me and Lee. You can count me in on that list as well for the comics. Um, Just found your section there quite interesting. And while you've been talking, I've just purchased a handful of Empire Strikes Back comics to start my collection off. certainly sounds like Lee got an absolute steal with that um, bundle that he purchased. Moving on then, we're going to go to a mumbo thread next, which was representing SWF UK stateside. Pete, you've been looking at this. It's, uh, it, it was quite a nice story, actually, that someone's actually gone to America wearing their Star Wars FBK t-shirts, presenting the forum. Um, I think it's going to start a trend off. I think we're going to get, over the summer, a lot of this going on with people wearing their t-shirts. So uh, whoever's printing them up needs to print a few more, I'd imagine. But it was it was going to Orlando, to Hollywood Studios' Star Tours ride. It looks a lot different to the one I went on about 15 years ago. I, I can kind of remember an Attack Walker hovering around, but there was no Ewok Village and, uh, and the rest of it. So it looks like they had a whirl of a time. And the fact that you've got kids playing with lightsabers as well, it's just not fair. Why can't they have adults playing with lightsabers? It's, uh, it's just not fair. And uh, nice to see, I think it's Senior Chubb, uh, wearing his rather appalling Mickey Mouse Darth Vader ears, which I think it's something we all feared that would happen when Diz came on board, and it looks like it's happened. Not too sure about that one, but uh, but overall, great to see Star Wars FUK in the States trying to take over. Nice one, Pete. Uh, those t-shirts are still available on Star Wars Forum. If anyone wants them, please let us know on the forum. And how cool is that to be represented? I wonder if anyone in America actually knew what those t-shirts meant. They could be misrepresented, couldn't they? Because they do look slightly rude. SWFA. I mean, it's not the most subtle thing in the world, is it? People could actually take it the wrong way. Well, they look great anyway. So, yeah, well represented there. Guys, do we have, like, a competition for these t-shirts? 
Indeed we do, Grant. If you go onto the forum, you will find a new thread called SWF UK Podcast Competition. And within that thread, you will find a question relating to this podcast. All you need to do is listen through the podcast, find out the answer to the question, and then email your answer to swfukpodcast at gmail.com. Have you guys had the opportunity to meet Junior Chubble Mumbo yet? No. I think I might have met one of them in passing, uh, farthest from, but I couldn't tell you which one. Yeah, funny guys, man. They don't miss a beat. I always look forward to their posts. Yeah, I've met Junior Chubb and Junior Junior Chubb, which is his son, at farthest from. I still don't think Mumbo exists. Being a bit of a running joke through some of the threads, you don't often see them together. <laughs> I don't know if I can see this, but surely nobody's that stupid. Well, Rich, I met Mumbo at a special uh, screening of Reset of a Jedi last year to celebrate their 30th anniversary. It was fun to meet Mumbo, but Mumbo Jr. insisted on attacking me with a lightsaber, and, and it was scary. So moving on then to the next thread. This thread was titled, Another Short but Hopefully Informative Baggy Thread. And this was posted up by Frunkstar. Um, ben, over to you, son. I've been uh, looking at this thread from Frankstar, who is Star Wars Forum UK's resident baggy expert. I must admit, before I go into this, I'm not a baggy collector myself, so my knowledge is absolutely limited. But these posts are very good for anyone who's looking to get into the baggy collecting or just wants to learn a little bit more about it. What it stems down to is he's discovered a way of differentiating between two different types of baggies. That is a Kenner Return of the Jedi G baggy and Palator Q baggy. I think to the extreme baggy collectors, obviously these designations are pretty important, but it's nice to be able to tell whether it was a Kenner-produced baggy or a Palatoy-produced baggy. The two types of baggy look almost identical to the uh, untrained idiots such as myself. But what he's discovered by getting several in hand and investigating is that the font on one of the baggies, which is the Palatoy, Palatoy Q baggy as opposed to the Return of the Jedi G, they're, they're virtually identical. One of them bleeds out, which is the Palatoy Q one. So if you look very, very carefully at the two that he's compared in his thread, you'll be able to see the bleed out on the Palatoy Q versus the sharper lines of the Return of the Jedi G. This discovery for baggy collectors means that basically they can determine, they've now got a way of determining for sure which, uh, which type of baggy it is and where the baggy came from. Yeah, I just have to say, man, I'm so thankful to have Frank on our forum. He's the only guy I know who can look at a picture of an action figure in a plastic bag shot with a really poor camera and really dim light on eBay and tell you that whether it's a fake or a real Star Wars baggie. I don't know how he does it. He just he can spot him a mile away and um really thankful that he's on the forum to uh, to help us and guide us. I'm also, you know, it's really great as well that he has that baggy guide thread as well. I don't know if everyone has seen that. That's also a really useful guide especially for, for people who want to get into um, collecting baggies. Yeah, big up respect for Frank here. I totally agree with you there, Grant. Without people like Frank putting the uh, half miles in on the research, as you say, one of the more important things comes out of these is being able to basically spot fakes, which, as we all know, eBay is absolutely rife with. So having somebody putting the research in and willing to share all their research on the forum is a, is a real asset to us. So good work, Frank. Yeah, I'm totally paranoid about collecting at the moment because obviously loose collecting is not too bad because it, unless you're going to invest in a last 17 thing, there's only really yak face at the surface at the moment with loads and loads of repros, which I'll cover a bit later. I mean, I, that's why I wouldn't touch a card at the moment without you know, a carded figure unless I went to the forum and actually asked somebody. I mean, there's obviously 
and enough expertise on there to guide. But I don't think you can reiterate that enough. With the amount of expertise in that forum, I feel I feel safe as a as a, a newbie collector or, or returnee collector. I think I'd touch any card unless I ran it past somebody on the forum. And, you know, it seems that look, guys like Ian and, and and people like him have no problem if you just drop a mail saying, "Look, is this genuine or not?" So uh, I don't that that can be expressed enough how important that is. Finally, I just want to give a, a big plug in this section to a friend of the podcast and a well-respected forum member in Christian who runs GW Acrylic. He gets the cases for mocks and loose figures. Um, looking at his site today, he also does display steps, cases for Action Force, GI Joe and other modern figures. And uh, at the moment, he's got a, a good run on cases for proofs and card backs. I believe I don't own any of his products as yet. It's something I'm looking to buy. But Grant, I believe you have some of his items. Yeah, I, I picked up a couple items off him last year and I'm, and I'm actually going to put in another order now. I can't say enough for Christian's acrylics. They really make a difference to your collection. It goes from looking like a, a your normal collection to looking like a museum with these pieces. I managed to pick up a hundred acrylic cases for carded figures you have a range of types there there's the new brand new adc 61 which is especially for uh, proof cards or card backs which is great that's that's only just come out now you've got the adc 11 and the adc 15 which are for carded figures the difference is one is for the smaller bubble type and one is for the bigger bubble types like the uh, gamorian guard and some of the trilogo figures and you also have the uh, adc 31 for the uh, meccano figures i'm not sure i'll be buying too many of the uh, square carded 20 back meccano acrylic cases off him since uh, those figures are extremely rare and expensive he's also got four loose figures as well there's different size acrylic cases for that if you are a baggy collector these cases are perfect for putting the baggies in which i think is great he's also got the new adc 41 that came out at the end of last year for the early bird mail away figures the kenner ones which comes with infamous dt luke and this is a fantastic set i think he's got it priced at approximately 45 pounds and i really want to get my hands on this i've seen it in person and it's absolutely beautiful beautiful i wasn't a fan of acrylic until i started buying from gw acrylics and now everything seems to be turning acrylic but it does it does turn your um collection into a you know into a stunning museum and it and it protects them and it displays them uh really well so you can you know that your expensive loose figure or your expensive carded figure is, is going to be safe uh, he's also got a brand new uh, acrylic display for the poppy figures the empire strikes back japanese poppy figures and um, I haven't got any poppy figures, but I, I want to get a poppy figure now just for the, the uh, display case. These are fantastic with a wonderful sliding mechanism to protect your poppy figures. But yeah, you can contact GW Acrylic on Facebook or they have an email address, uh, info at gwacrylic.co.uk. And fortunately, we have a, a brief interview with Christian uh, next month. But if you're uh, considering uh, upgrading from star cases to acrylics, don't hesitate. It's well worth it. I'm looking forward to putting in another order now. Wonderful. Ben, I understand that you've also purchased some of these. Uh, anything to add? Yeah, just, just following on a little bit from what Grant was saying. If you are like me and you collect mint on cards, but you don't, for whatever reason, and not a debate we're going to do today, but maybe another day, don't uh, don't like grading, but you do like the way that graded figures look, this is basically the solution for you. You get the lovely, as, as Grant said, museum-esque display piece to put your, your mint on cards on. They do look really, really good uh, in these cases. But if you don't really want to have your collection graded, this is a way of, of having, the, having the benefits of the case without having to pay the grading charges or have your treasured mint on card sealed away in a plastic tomb for the rest of its life. You can still take it out, breathe it, 
um, see it, touch it, whatever else you want to do with your mint, uh, mint on cards. And I won't go into too much detail there, but it's a, it's a nice way of displaying everything. Yeah, all I've ever heard is glowing references for GW Acrylics products. Uh, they certainly sound like a top quality item and um, anybody looking to improve their collections was certainly can't go far wrong with these pieces. Just to uh, give you those contact details again, um, www.facebook.com forward slash gwacrylic or email at info at gwacrylic.co.uk or look up Christian on the forum. So that is it for this month's forum roundup. Be sure to continue to post as we have plenty more to talk about in the coming shows. So I'm now going to hand over to Richard for this month's boom section. Okay, I've decided to offer a boom section in this podcast to discuss the threads that are really shaking the forums and that could be for many different reasons this episode i've actually picked two shakers the first one is the reproduction boxes that are for sale on ebay and on facebook and the guy attempted to sell these on the forums but it didn't last too long thankfully and the second one i think which i'm much more concerned about was a thread that came from tig i'll come back onto that one in a minute okay so onto the repro boxes the ebid the very very catchy replicator reproduction vintage star wars boxes and inserts um it's a guy called darren who initially he started off selling these brown cardboarded inserts and they had a rep mark put on them which was a big r with a circle around it and it looked as though they were perforated i haven't seen one of these um up close and personal i had no issue with them at all they go inside a box and when they're taken out they're very very clearly marked it was fairly obvious however in april he then started selling the vintage 12 inch action figure boxes most notably the Boba Fett and the IG-88, which obviously command a premium. Then the Tatooine skiff box appeared. Yes, they were marked with a rep row mark, but it was so small, collectors could easily be confused. And I mentioned this on a couple of the Facebook groups, and it seemed to be that it was always the buyer who was at fault, and I strongly disagree with that. I don't think the buyer should have to inspect things to the nth degree by asking close-up, close-up shots of every angle, inside, out, looking for these little marks. I, I don't think that that's, that's fair at all. So Darren obviously took this feedback on board. He, he seems a nice guy. He, his heart seems in the right place. Took the feedback on board. He listened and he promised a new design. So I thought, great, this guy's listened. Wonderful. Unfortunately, though, he has released these boxes with a new design and there was a small repro mark which is in a different place very very small i believe it says made by replicator products but it's it's so small the pictures are so blurry i actually can't make it out what's worrying is now that we're seeing six pack box, uh, boxes for sale and i've also spotted a 12 back display header which is advertised as coming soon so I'm going to put a play out there. I'm going to say, please stop giving this guy boxes, scans, whatever it is that he's using to make these. Because we've seen this before. We've seen this with Revalvit and his DTC about reproductions, where he is going to promise to mark them up as repro. He may do the first batch, and then the repro mark disappears. And, and obviously also the infamous Mark Poon. 
Now these boxes are for sale around about the £32, £38 pound mark. So if you're going to buy a loose Boba Fett, for example, you're probably going to pay approximately £100 for one. You're then looking at 40 quid for one of these repro boxes. So you're looking at £140. Really, it isn't too far away to getting a boxed Boba Fett. If repro's your thing, then why bother getting the original Boba Fett in the first place? You may as well just get a repro. You may as well take a photograph of a, of a Boba Fett vintage box and pin it on your wall. As far as I'm concerned, I just don't like the idea of these boxes. If they were marked with repro as a watermark right across the sides of the boxes, I wouldn't have so much of an issue. Okay, that is very clear. And if you fell for one of those, more fool you. But the fact that this repro mark's so small, I'm very concerned about these boxes. I've reported many to EB, as I know many other forum members have. And I would encourage everybody to report these boxes, no to rep war, get them out. We don't want to see them on the forums. I don't want to see them for sale anyway. Any questions? Yeah, I've got a question, uh, Rich. I was wondering, do you think this Darren guy could get me a photocopy of the Mona Lisa for my wall? Well, that kind of thing's been discussed, yeah. If I get a photocopy of the Mona Lisa and I put it on my wall, what's the harm in that? They say we have rep wars of Mona Lisa's. You know, most most pictures that are in your house are rep wars. Nobody has a masterpiece. The idea of uh, collecting these vintage toys was the uh, nostalgia value and hunting down these original pieces. You know, I think in that the inserts, in some ways, as long as they're marked, are quite good because it, they can strengthen the box and look after the product inside. But these these repo boxes, I mean, I don't like the sound of that. And it, these would be quite easy to uh, to mark because you're only going to have the face of the product to display. I don't see why it doesn't have you know reproduction written on the side or on the bottom. It just seems like it's a dodgy uh, a path to go down. I reckon. I totally agree with that. You're correct. If you're going to display a vintage 12-inch box, for example, you'll see the front. You, you, you may see one or both sides. You won't see the back. So even if the back was not marked and it was plain white, then it would be fairly obvious it's a rep I, I agree with the whole nostalgia. When I went to a store when I was a child and I bought a figure, I didn't buy a rep I didn't buy a fake product. I bought an original product and that's where my heart lies. Yeah, with the 12 inches, I mean, you could quite easily write repro on the bottom of the box where the figure stands on. Yeah, totally agree. I really hope that was he was going to do. He took the feedback and he said something along the lines of, I understand the concerns. A guy called Walkie who was on the forum, he mentioned that the way they were marked originally, if somebody just put a bit of tape on the top and then said, I have a sealed box, it would be very, very difficult to show that it wasn't sealed. So I think he listened to that and thought, yep, good point, Walkie. I'll come up with another design. I was hoping for so much more and I, I am really disappointed. Well, you know, I guess it's each to their own, but yeah, I reckon they're junk, I've got to be honest. I think the thing with these particular reproductions are, I mean, they're not for everybody, but there are some people that, that would like to have something that looks almost new, that gives them the nostalgia that they want, but they don't want to pay a lot of money for. So these things could potentially fit that for them. Just as you were saying, really, it's the need to have the fact that these are reproductions marked quite clearly somewhere on the box. And I, the reason I don't think that's ever going to happen is because I think that these, these guys that make these things are aware that some of their customer base may well be looking at buying them to then put them with perhaps something else, maybe then find their way onto another eBay auction being sold as genuine. I know it sounds very cynical of me to be saying this, but I think any good look at eBay will show you straight away that 
the counterfeited market with vintage toys is absolutely rife and this is another sort of avenue for people who want to counterfeit these things and then try and take advantage of people's gullibility this is something that these that these guys making the reproduction stuff will be completely aware of and i think something that they're exploiting so unfortunately it's a bit of a vicious circle i think the best thing to do is just to stay away from them really unless they're selling something that's a genuine reproduction item to be clearly marked as reproduction to be only ever displayed as a reproduction piece otherwise just you know whilst they're still practicing these slightly dodgy dodgy uh, arts then just just give them a completely wide berth don't don't give them the custom don't give them the business and also basically arm yourself knowledge is power we've touched a couple of times already in the podcast about people being terrified of purchasing things from the internet because they might be fake or they might not be what they think they're getting. Just make sure you know that you you use the knowledge that's there on the forums to, to look after yourselves. I don't know. It stinks to me, man. Dodgy. Dodgy geezers. Wherever there's money involved, there'll always be people that are looking to exploit it and pick up a cheap buck. And unfortunately, the rise of vintage Star Wars collecting is only going to lead to this practice going on more and more and more. We've got to protect the hobby. We've really got to protect it now. The prices of certain items are rising and, you know, eventually you're going to find professional counterfeiting organisations getting more and more interested in, in trying to exploit this market. Don't these, um, these boxes have Kenner written on them? Yeah, uh, that's why I've reported them to EB. It has Kenner written on them. They're also using the Star Wars logo, so I, I'm reporting them on copyright infringement. Ben, you made a good point there about mass production of these items. Next month's Boom Story will very, very likely be the Alibaba website. There are some frightening photographs on there, and we hope to have more information on those for next month. Okay, the second boom story that I'm, I'm picking up on is of real concern to me, and this is regarding Ozio, and I hope I'm pronouncing Ozio right. Ozio's claims that virtually all of the Lily Lady Bib Fortuna burgundy capes that we are seeing are fake. I'm really interested in this story because I would class Lily Lady Bib Fortuna cape as a major variation. So it's obviously something I'm interested in. I don't want to name the guy, but a friend of mine is on the hunt for one of these, and he sends us links. It's 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 great, it's fantastic. But even somebody who is an expert as him is getting fooled by these capes, and I hope he doesn't feel as though that he's embarrassed sending me links and one or two to improve to be fair, because I do appreciate all the effort you do, and keep them coming, because I hope to get an original one at some point. So thanks very much, it's very appreciated. Now, Ozio made a thread way back in March 2013 and it was pretty much ignored I, I didn't see a lot on here and this was on TIG and for those who aren't aware TIG is the Imperial Forum.com, and that is a fantastic website with some incredibly knowledgeable users with some fantastic archives and it's the place to go to spot fakes to spot repros and to get advice on anything that you have. So Ozio's claim was that certainly at the very latest of 2004, fake capes were available. And he's put a picture on there, and it's obvious to somebody like me that this is a fake cape. It looks more brown. You wouldn't call it burgundy, and it, it's, it's very poor. Now, at some point between 2004 and 2008, a second version of these fakes appeared, and it's very dark. It looks claret. It looks like port. And again, it's not 
the colour that I would describe as burgundy. And then in 2010, better quality fakes appeared, which closer colour matched. But the likes of Ozio and others who were much less knowledgeable, they spotted that these were fakes because they had the wrong stitching, they had the wrong cuts under the armpits, and I believe the cuts under the armpits could be Kenna capes that are dyed, and I think we get a lot of issue between Kenna and Lily Lady capes. 2011, we started to get a little bit, bit better. Up until 2012, we were starting to see some capes with deliberate damage on them. Me being innocent, naive, I would look at one of these and think, it's threaded, it's, it's got a hole in it, it's, you know, it looks scruffy. Much more chance it's going to be original, but that's a very, very clever counterfeiting. Further down, he's put more examples of some of these, um, fake capes. Then, he came out with pretty much the bombshell for me to say that he does not believe that he will see another genuine Leddy cape. Now, I would say that Ozio is probably the top three Leddy experts in the world, so I'm going to say that he's convinced me that it's going to be virtually impossible to get a Leddy cape. Unfortunately, one or two people are contesting that and saying, you know, you can't be sure. Ozio, quite rightly, is not putting too much information on there. We, as Ben said, knowledge is power, and we can't give these guys the power to create these fake capes any better than what they are. And he's using another guy called Merlin. He has a carded leddy uh, cape, which is extremely rare, and Ozio has spent 10 years doing research, and that can't be dismissed by, you know, oh, well, perhaps I've got a variation of an original cape, etc., etc. You really need to listen to what Ozio's saying. Now, Ozio's making an offer. If you've got a big cape, take a photograph, send it to Ozio, and he will give you his advice as to whether he thinks it's fake or whether he thinks it's, it's a genuine cape. And I would encourage everybody to take that offer up. I am really disappointed now because I know that I'm not going to get burgundy leddy cape. And if one does appear, then it's going to go for a lot of money. The capes, I was looking at spending £300, £350 on one of these capes. If that is now going to be a fake cape, I would dread to think how much a confirmed by Ozio or Merlin original cape is going to cost. Now, there is a little bit of concern behind the scenes as to why a lot of the alleged knowledgeable guys on Leddy aren't coming out and helping Ozio with this. There are some accusations that we've got guys who've got quite a few of these capes, who perhaps have paid two, three hundred, four hundred pounds for these capes, and then we'll be looking to sell them on for four, five hundred pounds in the future. Unfortunately, with Ozio's claims, that to me is making this virtually worthless. If I wanted one of these fake capes and if anybody's got one of these fake capes, to me, I don't know, five pound, you know, that, that that's what I'm willing to pay. And I would dread to think I'm gonna I'm gonna put a, an estimate out there. I think we're we're running into the low thousands now for one of these genuine uh, burgundy capes. Rich, just following on from that, do you, you feel then that the reason that there's so many people that are in quite big denial about this or that are expressing concerns as to, to whether or not this is correct is because of the amount of money, perhaps, that they've got tied up in these uh, these leddy Bib Fortunas? And as well as that, is this something that um, may have passed the grading companies by as well? I mean, I, I haven't done a great deal of research into this because I'm, I'm not a leddy collector, and I, I know it's... Um, quite a nice variation, quite a big, obvious variation of a figure. The thing that always puts me off is, is the price tag that these things command, and so I've never really seriously looked into buying one, but is this something, again, that's passed a lot of people who would be considered experts by maybe and fooled them as well? Well, 
I'll answer the AFA part first because that's the easiest part. AFA have been proven time and time and again that they make mistakes. They are only human and I'm sure they're doing the best job they can. But for somebody to say, we are the authority, we are the experts, please send us your stuff, we will look at it, we will grade it. It's very disappointing that mistakes are happening and it appears that more mistakes are happening. So I'm not going to take anything that AFA have to say with any kind of credence at all. Um, if AFA re- released a statement tomorrow and said Ozio's claims are utterly wrong then I'm sorry I'm going to back Ozio on this he has, he has been out there in the field he's put 10 years effort into this he's Mexican and I'm sure he has a lot of experience in Leddy and as far as I'm concerned he is the AFA of Leddy now to answer your question about the collectors if I had bought I'm going to say a dozen of these when they were around the £150-£200 mark about 4 or 5 years ago with a view to selling them in the future then I would be nervous with those yours claims but I think I would be looking for perhaps a tad more proof now for those guys they really need to contact Ozio and find more information I would be very disappointed if we started to see these getting sold on eBay such as the Toy with no reference to the this is possibly a, a fake if I had one of these to sell I would put it on eBay and I would point them straight to the thread on TIG and buy everywhere Rich, I noticed you said the word uh, Toy Tony then. I was wondering if we were going to get through this first podcast without mentioning it, but there we had it. Uh, but yeah, worrying stuff though, man, worrying stuff. Where, where, where did you say we can find this information? I did put a thread on Star Wars Forum UK, but I think it's only fair. This is a, this is a TIG thread. I only link directly to the TIG thread. So if you haven't joined up a TIG, you need to as soon as possible. That's www.imperialgunneryforum.com. Okay, and in there, like most other vintage Star Wars websites, they have a watch out section and the fake burgundy cape, Bib Fortuna, they are everywhere, is the very first, and it may even be a sticky, it's the very first post in the watch out section. Okay, so if you've got one of these capes, I urge you to photograph the cape, contact Ozio, get his advice and listen to what he's got to say. A fantastic piece, Rich, there. Uh, very informative and at the same time very, very worrying. and seems that reproduction takes are really on the increase. But we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back with Grant's Oddballs. You don't happen to stock vintage 12-pack Star Wars figures, do you? No, sorry. No, no, I didn't think so. Not even a 70-pack Clarton Return of the Jedi card. So what about Chief Chirpy, with or without his hood? Chief Chirpy? You just made that up. Get. Good old yellow pages. Only there now to help with the nasty things in life, like swatting a wasp, or providing weight to keep those old card bags flat when you eventually get them from the loft. If you want to talk vintage Star Wars collecting, get yourself over to www.starwarsforum.co.uk.
Uh, okay, guys, this is a little section I've got to myself here. This is Star Wars oddball items. For those who don't know what oddball is, it's normally a term given to collectibles and memorabilia that isn't really the action figure orientated stuff where you're minting box. Things like, you know, your Boba Fett Andrews, your Super 8 tapes, your watches, your beach towels, your posters, these are all uh, normally termed oddball items and for a completist like me, oddball items are extremely desirable. So every month I'm going to be looking at a different set of oddball items and discuss them and hopefully uh, generate some kind of interest in these items. Being a British forum podcast, I thought the best thing to do to start off with is actually look at a British company and uh, the first one I'm going to look at is a company called Helix. Now, Helix is a, a major company around the world now. It was uh, established in 1887 under the name the Universal Woodworking Company Limited, and it mostly uh, manufactures things like wooden rulers, metal laboratory apparatus. But, you know, anyone who's been to school, especially in the late 70s or 80s, and obviously I don't know now, it's very likely if you had a ruler or a protractor or anything, it's very possible that it would have come from Helix. I've actually contacted Helix, I managed to get through to a woman who's worked there for the last 30 years. She's never seen any of the Star Wars stuff, which would have uh, came just before that she, she was there. She did say that the company has merged and been purchased multiple times since 1977, so it may be that nothing has been kept. One thing that we do know is that Helix was one of the first companies to get the Star Wars license, but unfortunately I couldn't, in all my research, couldn't find any dates of this. Now, uh, with the items themselves, the prices can fluctuate uh, drastically depending on many variables like how it's advertised, who's actually looking at the time. So there is an opportunity to get some bargains here. It's much more of a smaller collector's market than, say, the action figures. All of the Helix items were actually for the UK market only. And there was no stationery for Empire Strikes Back unless anyone knows of any stationery that came out for Empire Strikes Back just for the UK market. I think there were some foreign items. But uh, yeah, if you could contact us on the forum email address if you if you have any further information on that. And for Return of the Jedi, the license went to HC Ford, which we can look into into another podcast. Uh, the collectibles themselves reflect really early Star Wars 70s products in the most profound way. The design, the artwork is absolutely gorgeous. It's hard to believe that you know these items were in shops where no one in the world knew who Boba Fett or Yoda was or what the Battle of Hoth was. These are way before then, so you know we're talking about some of the first items that came on the market. The collectibles all have a Star Wars logo on them, which is called the Vanishing Point Opening Crawl Style, uh, which was designed by a gentleman called Dan Perry, and that's used on the uh, Star Wars A and Star Wars C style posters. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Not at all, Grant. No, go on. It's uh, on the Star Wars posters. You have sort of like the... It's almost like a... Um, a triangulated writing for the the title Star Wars, you know, goes up into a point. It's it's wide at the bottom and less wider at the top. Yes, yes, uh, I remember that now. Did that only feature on Helix? Because I seem to recall perhaps some kind of bag or was it a lunchbox that had that kind of logo? Yeah, it was around quite a few of the very early collectibles, but it's very rare to see these days. This is a, you know one of the very first uh, Star Wars fonts that were used. It's used heavily over all of the Helix items. But I would say, you know, if I'm going to make a point here, that even though that some of these collectibles are, are possible to find, there's a few of the shop displays here that are just impossible to find. And it was really hard in our research to even find examples of any of these existing. You know, we're talking a lot more uh, rarer than your Ben Kenobi DT Sabres on this one. You know, I even hear that there's a R2-D2 display that came out, but I've, I've never even seen one. I couldn't find any evidence of one existing. Even some pencil tops that I found in an old black and white advert, which... Uh, have like these dangly chains from them 
I couldn't find any information about that. So please, if anyone out there has any information on any of the items that we talk about, please contact us on our email address at swfukpodcast at gmail.com. Well, if I could move on to the collectibles, what I'm going to do here is just go through the uh, the range of collectibles that Helix actually delivered and, and talk briefly about them. First thing I want to look at is the Star Wars vinyl pencil cases. Now, there are eight of these to collect. Four are white, one green, one red, one yellow, and one orange. Now, the Ben, the Luke, the Han, and the Leia are white. C-3PO is green, the Stormtrooper is red, Vader is yellow, and R2-D2 is orange. One of the rules to go by with this is that the, the white pencil cases are a lot easier to find than the colored ones with the stormtrooper being the uh, rarest now you can pick up these pencil cases quite cheaply if you're lucky i've seen the white ones go from five to ten pounds seen a re- in a recent sale the hand solo one went for 50 pounds the ben kenobi went for 12 pounds and the stormtrooper for 140 pounds so it just goes to show that you can get lucky with these collectibles depending on many different variables there's also a shop display that comes with this it's basically um, a countertop box with four sets of pencil cases facing upwards, but I've never actually seen one for sale. I've only seen um, photographs of them in collections, and I, I believe these are these are so unbelievably rare. I'm talking probably under 10 exist. That's how rare they are. Grant, you mentioned the colours there, such as red for the Stormtrooper, etc. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason for this, because I've seen a, a ruler that was blue that had a Stormtrooper on. You would have thought that if they had a reason producing the Stormtrooper on red, they would keep that consistent within the same company. Does that not appear to be the case? Blue ruler is actually what I was going to go on to next. It does feature the Stormtrooper with uh, May the Force. A lot of the Helix products have May the Force written on them. These can be easily found for £5 to around about £15, but they were actually sold separately in a tin pot, which had a, like a cardboard sleeve in there, so they weren't actually in the vinyl cases. They were sold separately. The rulers themselves, I mean, you can pick one up on eBay today, no problem at all, but when it comes to the tin pot store display, forget about it. I mean, these are so difficult to come across. I've seen about two for sale in the last five years, and they went for big money. Moving on to the uh, pencil top erasers. Now, these come in uh, yellow, white, blue, I think dark blue as well. It's C-3PO. I think Darth Vader might be there, R2-D2 and a Stormtrooper. These are actually relatively easy to find. They're on eBay at the moment. They go for about £5 each. You can actually get the store display, unlike the majority of the others, <coughs> relatively easy for this. One was sold on eBay last month with 14 erasers on it for £85, which I think is a steal. Yeah, this is definitely, unlike a lot of the other Helix products, something that seems to come up very often. Uh, Next up, we have uh, a wooden pencil case. Now, this is very old-school pencil case with a sliding wooden door and two compartments. I mean, this comes out of sort of like how you imagine... You know, sort of like a, a school in World War Two with the wooden pencil cases and um, with the wooden desks with the, the compartments that open up on your school tables. These are relatively easy to find. These normally missing the pencils. They did come with an eraser and uh, a, a ruler inside. But you can get these quite easy. A bare bones pencil case, for example, will probably go for about £10. Uh, they did come in a cardboard sleeve. And to get those, I mean, those still pop up as well. One went on eBay last month for £63, which I still think is a bargain there. Moving on, you've got the pencils. These are not easy to come across. I guess, I guess loads of kids use the, uh, all the pencils when they were in school. They come with a Star Wars logo on it with uh, May the Force writing on it. They come in different colors. They come in a display similar to the ruler where you have like a tin part. These are also you know, pretty tricky to find. I saw a, a really rusty one go for sale on eBay in 2010 for £750. 
Next up, we have the Tin Mask set. These had C-3PO and R2-D2 on the front. I should say a lot of the um, Helix products, they have either photographs on the front or artwork. You get a real mixer, which is great. The Tin Mask set, it comes with a pencil protractor, your usual stuff. These are quite easy to find. One sold on eBay last month, which was complete for £125. Now, these also have a, a shop display, but I've never seen one for sale. I think these would be super rare, and if one did come for sale, I think it would definitely go for, for big money. Moving on to the Death Star Sharpener. This was made famous by Steve Sansweets from Concept to Screen to Collectibles book. It's a great piece. It's multicolored, like a 70s disco Death Star. They, these are pretty rare. As I was doing my research for the Helix products, two were actually sold on eBay straight away. And to show you the, the difference in prices you can get, one sold for £85.00 and the other one sold for £211, which is about right there. Uh, it also come with Vader's TIE Fighter and X-Wing artwork on the store display, but this store display is extremely difficult to find. I remember Todd Chamberlain from Toy Chamber sold an empty one about three years ago for nearly a 1,000 years. Did I say 1,000 years? I meant £1,000. Um, moving on to the school set, uh, Han and Chewbacca photographed on the front. It's a simple vinyl fold-out case. These are difficult to find with all the stationery in it, but easy to find, you know, examples of it without all the stationery in. Uh, there was another school set, the school drawing set, which is which is very similar. It had the uh, Star Destroyer on it with a semicircle case. These are pretty easy to find about for about £150. Um, there's actually Darren from Star Zone Toys has one for sale at the moment, and he also has an empty one for about £55. 12-colour pencil set. has a cardboard sleeve of colour pencils. These uh, aren't too difficult to find. have a nice photo on the front of the uh, Stormtroopers, which is very similar to the Kenner Mint on card. Not, not particularly rare. Especially not as rare as next items, which is the Jawa pens, uh, multicolored 10 packs. Now, one of these sold for £437 on the 15th of December 2010. And I just think it's so typical for something with a Jawa on it to be uh, rare and worth a fortune. Uh, just coming to the end of the, the Helix stuff now, there's the die-cut erasers. Now, these come loose or can be found in bag. They're also a pack with pencil cases and school sets. It's an eight-piece set with Luke, Leia, Han, R2, C-3PO, Leia, Chewbacca, Vader, and Grand Moff Tarkin. Uh, recent sales of these have seen that the loose R2-D2 went for £33, Chewbacca for £30, which is about right. A full set went for £170. Uh, there is also a counter uh, table display box for these, but I've never seen one for sale, and I've only ever seen a old black and white photo of one. I would suggest that these are super rare as well. Just finishing up here with the Helix stuff, what is interesting is that they released a Grand Moff Tarkin eraser. Now, for all you focus collectors out there, if you if you decided to do a focus for uh, one character from Star Wars, Grand Moff Tarkin might be the one for you because you would have the, uh, the Helix eraser, a fan club badge, two Coke clubs, uh, a Burger King collector's glass, a Wonder Bread collector's card, a few uh, promotional posters from Coke, and uh, a few tops cards and stickers, and you would be done. But yeah, that, 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 that's my wrap-up there for Helix, and uh, hopefully we investigate more oddball items next month. These look very, very early, as in right at the start of Star Wars. You know how the... Can I made a mistake with the Snaggletooth, and we've, we've obviously got that infamous blue Snaggletooth. With these being released so early... Was there anything obviously incorrect with them that sticks out like a sore thumb? Well, I think the um, multicolored Death Star, I'm not sure why they didn't go for a grey one there. I think the Helix did a really good job with all of these, to be honest. And nothing really jumps out to me as, uh, as that unusual. You know, the Jawa pens, there's nothing to do with Jawas on it. It's just, you know, a photograph of Jawas on the front of uh, a package. 
And the same as the, you know, the, the, the station, some of the stationary sets, are, you know, it's only when you open them up and it's got Star Wars written on either the pencil or the, or the rulers, uh, that make it anything to do with Star Wars. But, you know, still they're, they're very quaint items. You can really see that this is the, the very beginnings of what was going to be a collecting a memorabilia empire. Well, I just want to say in closing, the, the shop displays, a lot of the ones I went through there, uh, such as the die-cut eraser shop displays, the Death Star sharpener, the vinyl pencil cases, these are so unbelievably rare. I mean, if people like chasing rare items in Star Wars, then you should really go for these because I'm, I'm talking under five examples, if that, that I've ever found or ever seen. And some of them is just a black and white picture. So we know they exist, but God knows where they are, if any of them are still around. So um, happy hunting and let us know if you find any of them. This is the uh, market section, or watching of the markets, um, if we want to call it something. I am by no means any expert on Star Wars. I am just a fan who has picked up the hobby again after many, many years, wallowing in the pits of, of Power of Force 2 figures and um, Episode 1 figures. And uh, obviously, you know, couldn't tear myself away from being a vintage collector in reality. So uh, I came out of the closet... Um, put on my uh, Luke Bespin jacket and uh, and hit the vintage markets again. So um, I've shedded all those those horrible old bits of history, and uh, and I'm back in back in the back in the game, back in the game. So yeah, if I get anything wrong, you know, it's just down to uh, naivety. Um, please don't hold it against me. Um, I'm not trying to outdo anybody, and I'm probably not even the 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 biggest knowledge in the room of this podcast so uh you know go easy on me vlix also known as vlix on card uh this is the elusive and exclusive brazilian glass leet or glass light figure i believe there's less than 10 still known to be uh still attached to the cards and uh or considered mint on cards um and there may be only 50 to 55 known examples existing on the planet um apparently only about about a thousand were produced before they were the factory well closed production and melted most of them before they actually got into the open market so uh um that's why the price is just astronomical the figure itself came from the Droids cartoon, which was one of those sort of off-spins like uh, the Ewoks cartoon as well, which didn't really sort of hit that target market, I don't think. From a personal point of view, I was getting to the age where computers and, and other things were occupying my time, so a cartoon about, you know, to the robots and the in the droids in the series wasn't really going to float my boat in any stretch of the imagination. I've since gone back and had a look at some of the cartoons, and the stories are actually not that bad. Um, the series itself ran for, I think it was about 13 episodes, 20-odd minutes long each one, and there was a big sort of ending which lasts about 48 minutes with called, called The Great Heap, which... Uh, featured Boba Fett and of course they made a card out of him recently on uh, the program Toy Hunter with Jordan Hembra in his uh, Hollywood Heroes uh, shop thing he uh, forked out $14,000 for a figure um, on a card and which works out around about £8,300 which uh, is quite incredible really for, for a card personally I don't get it it's not yes it is part of Star Wars but for me it, it never really never really resonated with any of my Star Wars 
uh, enthusiasm. At Vectors itself, at the uh, the auction, there was one for 1,500 but didn't get a single bid, I don't think, so that's why it didn't go anywhere. And then on eBay at the end of April, the one went uh, a 70 AFA loose figure in its little vinyl box, uh, fetched just a pound short of um, £2,000. Does anyone uh, collect the droids line? Because, you know, I was actually thinking the other day when I'm reading through the show notes, I'm thinking about selling all my droids and Ewok stuff because um, I don't, don't think I'm actually interested in it. And I was wondering, uh, how does everyone else feel about droids and Ewoks line? I personally don't really rate them. I don't see them as part of the Star Wars collection that I had as a child. I think when Star Wars tailing off with the last 17, I think that pretty much is when it ended. I do, however, think that the A-Wing is cool and I will pick up a loose A-Wing and that's only because it wasn't released as part of the main timeline. Yeah, it just um, seems really unfortunate that the the Vlix is such a, you know, holy grail for Star Wars collectors, yet, you know, I always feel that, I don't know, I prefer to have some pre-production stuff from the original films or something instead of a, a Vlix. I feel uh, quite similar to Richard about this. The, the particular toy lines, they do nothing for me. I do remember them when they were originally sold in the shops. They were sort of after, after Star Wars. I, I had no real appeal with them. I can see why people quite like to collect the the A-Wing pilot, the C-3PO, the R2-D2 and the Boba Fett. It harks back to the vintage Star Wars line, but some of the other figures, just for me personally, don't do anything. I've never really seen the the appeal in the Vlix figure. It's not really the greatest looking of the action figure range. I think the appeal for a lot of people is the rarity of the item. Going back a little bit to your section on the Helix products, Grant, you can get an item that's far rarer or far more unique than a Vlix for a fraction of the price of a loose Vlix in terrible condition. One of one of your pencil cases, for example, you can have something that's that's really a, a lot rarer if that's your thing. But I think because it's an action figure and it's one of those action figures that there are a few known examples of this is where the appeal for it seems to come from for me okay uh, now i'm going to talk about vectors auctions and the aston's toy auctions these are two sort of well-attended auctions throughout the country vectors is quite well known does the rounds at uh, fairs and stuff advertising its its services it does a lot of uh, smaller sort of die-cast toys they uh, they're based in thornaby stockton on tees up north which is nowhere near a stockton on tees accent but there we go and uh, the aston's uh, toy auctions in birmingham but not in aston which is kind of strange but there we go the vectors auctions are kind of well known for doing carded figures and they had uh, two recent auctions uh, one on 18th of February the other on 15th of April the one on 18th of February was the one which sort of made the news headlines uh, there was lots of coverage on places like BBC website and across the sort of collecting uh, stratosphere where FX7 sold for over £7,000 or if you're American 11000 wax. A little bit like the Jawa that uh, at the end of 2013 went for, I think it was well over £10,000. Um, this is just one, one of those things where, you know, it's not the price of the figure, it's more down to the auction and the time of the auction and just one of those things. Uh, this was a, a 30 back carded Empire Strikes Back figure. I think it was Palatoy. You know, it's just one of those things where, which auctions can produce, can produce crazy prices. If you go through what is sold on eBay on a regular occurrence, there is quite a differentiation between auction bids and uh, buy it now. For example, for a 80 graded Princess Leia Palatoy uh, 12 back, a buy it now went for 1650 and a very similar 
um, non-graded uh, figure, but from all appearances, like very good condition. In the end, went for two hundred ninety-four pounds. So it just goes to show that, uh, that an auction can bring the best out of people, and sometimes an auction can go hideously badly wrong and not give you anything at all. So, um, so back to Vectis. The uh, the fifteenth of April one were, had a lot different to the eighteenth of February one. Uh, that February one seemed to have um, some sort of big marquee figures. Um, you had a I think you had a Luke Scott. No, so you had a uh, Darth Vader go for two oh, just over two thousand pounds you had a layer went for 1400 there was a lot of figures went for just under a thousand pounds in the in the april auction there was a lot more lower price of return of the jedi the odd impostor back card here and there i think a few a few odd trilogue ones i think as well um, which went from many between sort of 50 to 40 pounds so for sort of like new carded collectors it's definitely worth keeping an eye out on these on these auctions there's a lot more figures on cards that seem to be coming through it's probably worth you know, having a look out i mean I, I always had that impression from a personal point of view that that a carded figure was going to you know just just be well beyond my price range i couldn't justify it but you know for a carded figure you know 30 40 quid kind of tempted i don't really care much about the sort of creased side of it or the odd damage to a bubble and stuff as long as it's stuck on the car properly and it's not a, a refit job or anything then um, then i'm quite happy with that as in terms of the, the vectis website itself it's a little bit archaic but you have to register put your credit card in so they, they know that you're serious which is kind of fair enough but you always feel kind of obliged then to uh, maybe put a bid in of some sort because of the way you put a kind of a sealed bid you do get notified immediately that if you are the highest bidder but then of course you know you have to be emailed you, you, you're not going to watch the site to be told that you are no longer the highest bidder, you get notified by email, so you kind of have to go out the site, wait. Then if your email system's a bit rubbish, it might not come in time, so uh, you kind of have to be there and there at the, uh, almost at the auction itself to sort of like get those bids in. So uh, they could definitely do with improving it. I think um, that, I'm sure their system works fine for them, but uh, it does seem that they need a software upgrade. It's not easy to search on the website. It's not easy to get yourself around the website. Uh, you feel like uh, you've, you've sort of gone back 15 years in the world of world of the web, but uh, you know, they, they're making them money so you know who's going to complain but um i don't i think it, it does put people off going on there i noticed in the forum there's a lot of people who who have made mention of the fact that vectors isn't particularly easy to get sort of uh, in with and certainly people don't like putting their credit card details in into the website you know it can be off-putting you think you might have to spend something or accidentally have to justify explaining something on your credit card bill um, a couple of the highlights from from the uh, the auctions themselves from vectus palatoy darth vader 12 back with a slight crease and a tiny crack on the bubble with a, uh, a signature to John Dave Prowse's Darth Vader that went for £300 in stark contrast to that another Palatoy the same auction which was considered as mint or within near mint to mint bubble with a 12 back that went for 1600 without anyone scribble on it also my favourite figure is the uh, is Princess Leia and uh, a Palatoy version of her Empire Strikes Back 45 back with the Becoming a Star Wars Bounty Hunter that got £1,600 and it's worth going onto the site just to sort of go through if you, the, there is actually a search there for Star Wars and uh, you need to sign in there to see what figures went for but um, I think a, a few lists have been printed um, it certainly might be worth every, after every auction someone going through and just printing off the list because it is it is interesting to see. As terms of Asna's auctions, they don't usually cover too much Star Wars stuff. It tends to be modern 
in bulk do get sort of boxes of vintage loose figures incomplete you know bo- little box of weapons so you know if you're sort of like a loose collector like myself you can pick this stuff up it doesn't usually go for that much but um it can go a bit mad you know you sort of 80 pounds for a box of sort of beta figures can can be the norm there but you end up getting like you know a few random bits like star trek figures and i picked up some uh, battle of planets figures in the past as well in uh, in multiple auctions so it's a uh, it's a real sort of uh, flea market feel to it but the people actually at aston's themselves are actually fantastic so uh, i definitely recommend anyone wanted to deal with them i never had a problem with them. they're actually quite fair-minded um you don't get that sort of impression that they're after uh, after getting you and getting your cash and then running away with it they're actually you know a pretty young crowd up there and uh, half decent so i would recommend but um you can also get uh, find yourself buying a lot of crap as well the main talking points that have come particularly out of the, the Vectis auction being the high price it seems of certain Palatoy mint on card figures they seem to be attracting a, a lot more of a premium now over the recent uh, years and months than they ever did previously I was just going to throw a question open actually to the other podcast guys do you think that the Palatoy card backs are really in as short a number as perhaps the prices will have you believe or there's just a buying fad now people believing that Palatoy is going to be where the money is in the future or the best investments are what do you guys think? I think you've got to take that on a court-by-court basis. You look at something like the Palatoy Chewbacca, and I think, I don't know if anyone remember, but if we go back last year or possibly even the year before, I think there was a guy called Dr. Pittenstein or something along those lines, and he had a Palatoy Chewy that his grandmother, I believe, had kept for him all these years. So he came along to the forum, he put it on the forum, and the interest just exploded, and I think he got about 5000 for it, if memory serves as right. And it was from then, from my point of view, that the Palatoy pot prices started going crazy. Some of the Palatoy figures are still very easy to get a hold of, and I, I don't think their prices are going to realise significantly. But certainly the Chewy and obviously the FX7, depending on what variation it is, I think those prices are sky high and are going to stay sky high. I've got a question about the Palatoy Darth Vader. It's signed to John Day Prowse's Darth Vader. I was just wondering, how did the panel feel about getting these rarer and rarer items signed by actors? Do you feel as though it diminishes the value of the card in any way, or do you feel as though it enhances it? Personally, I think that the actors don't really relate to the toy. The character relates to the toy, the actor relates to the character, but we don't have as much of a relationship between the actor and the toy itself. Yeah, I agree with you, Richard. I'm not a fan of signed stuff by the actors, I mean, as in toys and figures and stuff. I think uh, you know, a photograph which is signed to you personally has a value to yourself, but uh, I don't know, it, it, it just seems like someone's scribbled on a card, which is probably quite disrespectful, but uh, it, it really has no value. And in fact, I think that was almost reflected in the price. But I gave those two prices. That was uh, both the same figure. A signed one was three hundred pound. Probably, you know, not, not. Well, it wasn't in the worst condition. Could have a slight crease and that tip little crack. And the mint one went for you know one thousand six hundred. So uh, I think there's definitely uh, that can be reflected in the price. I think you've really hit it on the head there, Peter. It, it is like having a scribble on a card. And, you know, someone like Dave Prowse, who's been signing autographs. I mean, I've seen Dave Prowse about four or five times this year, and he's been signing autographs solidly, and he's been doing it for the last, you know, nearly 40 years. So um, I think it takes a lot away from the carded figure. And I, I certainly wouldn't be interested in buying a carded figure with a, a signature on it, I don't think. I don't know, what what what, what the rest of you guys think? What if it was, you know, like a, a common hand Solo trend? French Cobra Tin of a Jedi card of figure with a Harrison Ford autograph on it. 
I would avoid it. I'd look for one without a signature on it. If I want a signature, it'll be on a it'll be on a print or a photo or something like that, not on a card back. I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't touch it. Yeah, I agree. However, you threw Harrison Ford in the mix there. From my point of view, not that I do, but if I did collect carded figures, I would probably pick up both if I could, and then put the one with the signature with me autographs and keep it away from my carded collection and use it for a different purpose. Somebody like Prowse, though, who, who I could bump into at any time and pay 10, 15 quid for his signature, I just would avoid it like the plague. Yeah, I would go in the same boat as Richard. I think uh, Harrison Ford's a different kettle of fish to David Prowse and would probably pick up a signed figure with Harrison Ford. But yeah, like you say, David Prowse's signature easy to get hold of. would rather have a nice minty box without the scribble on it. Multipacks, uh, which really is a, a mysterious world. Um, there's all sorts of stuff. Um, I guess when the, the figures got to the end of the line and marketing companies were, were trying to shove this, these figures out into whatever they could to just get them out, out, off the, out the, the factories and off the shelves and into people's homes as, as quickly as they could as Star Wars was kind of fading away. Um, I guess that this is what filled up the, uh, the, the minds of the, the sub-marketing team. Um, one that went on eBay right about the start of the year, I think it was about February time, uh, an Imperial 3-pack, uh, which is 4-LOM, TIE Fi Pilot, and ATAT Driver. Not really sure why 4-LOM was in there, but there we go. Um, I think I've already mentioned that there's been some interesting combinations. But when it's actually an Imperial pack, you kind of think, you know, who on earth was in charge of this stuff, but there we go. Um, that went for £2,900 uh, on a best offer. Uh, the same seller... Tiger Tilly um, also had the Cantina set for £1,500. Uh, again, a best offer on that one. Forum member Caswell Bot also had one on Vectis, which didn't actually get sold. That was the uh, the villain set, which has already been talked about, which was the Sand People, Boba Fett, and Snaggletooth. Um, I was uncomfortable saying the word Sand People when there's only one of them, but there we go. That was a uh, near mint to mint bubble, uh, was supposedly good, unpunched. And a slight tear to the front. Um, that was two and a half thousand pound reserve, and no one had a, a pop of that, so I'm sure that will come up again um, because it's a nice piece, and uh, and these do sell. Caswellbot also mentioned on the forum. You can go back on those threads about Vectis. One went in 2012 from a Japanese seller for two thousand pounds, and one went last year on eBay, an AFA graded 85 for just over four thousand pounds. I think the Japanese one was a bit low. I think it was an AFA graded 70. There's been a couple of um, oddities. This was this actually were multi packs, um, but there were figures, so full carded figures in a multi pack. So this was a Trilogo Reyes, a Kenner Lando, and a Kenner Emperor's Royal Guard. So there's actually the carded figures, and they were surrounded. So they're bubble to bubble. Um, there's actually three or four, so one's actually missing. So I don't know if that, that, that's gone. I don't know, and who was in it? Uh, we'll have to try and find out. I'm sure someone will point out who was missing. But um, out of the th- three figures, these figures are sort of assembled in a, a sort of sandwich card. So the top, where, where the bubbles sit together, so the three figures are, are sat bubble to bubble. Um, above that, covering the card, so the, the tops of the cards, there's this kind of like sandwich board, um, which is like black with a, a big star shape on for a price tag, obviously, when it was being hung on the shelves. And it had collector's special offer pack on it, and it was a Return of the Jedi, so you can tell what sort of year it came out. And uh, it, it's... This, this was actually up for an estimate of 140 to 200 and only sold for 90 So for three carded figures, all right, not in great condition, but still actually not that bad. That's a bit of a bargain. Because I imagine the, uh, the actual pack itself, you could, you know, I, I, it looks like it's quite easy to disassemble. And you can actually sort of display that on its own. Um, it's quite cool. And then have the, the cards 
display their own as well. But um, the only thing wrong with that was the bubbles were slightly peeling away from the back end, and it was rated you know, fair to good. There was also another one which was an Italian lettering, same thing again, but just this time written in Italian. Uh, there was a bit of writing in the uh, in the star in the in the corner, and this had four figures attached. This was a Trilogo ATST driver, a Trilogo biker scout, a Kenner Lobot, and a Trilogo Squidhead. Each was still within the original factory bubble. Uh, the cards are the bubbles are a little bit beaten up here and there. Not you know, a few creases and stuff, but again, four carded figures in reasonable condition. The Lobot's a bit yellowed, but that went for £160 um, from, I think, I think original estimate of around about 300 so actually not a, not a bad piece. And then finally, um, TIE Fighter Boy on the forum, as known as Todd in real life, um, he presented a jewel pack with um, a blank back, um, which had the the dynamic duo of Darth Vader and Rees, uh, those two famous partners in crime, and that came up and that went for $200, I think, so around about, what, £140. So uh, that just, uh, that kind of kick-started the whole, in my head, the uh, those sort of weird team-ups that multipacks seem to have, which, uh, yeah, there we go. The Yak Factor. This might well be something that continues over the months because I think it's going to grow and grow, but uh, I'm currently assembling my loose collection. I've only got a few left, about nine left, um, in various conditions. And I'm on to the last 17, as you can probably imagine. And the one I'm not really, really looking forward to trying to get hold of is uh, Yak Face. Now, some people will tell you that the, 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 you can get one for about £60, but on eBay anyway, it seems to be quite a random amount of money. Uh, currently, it's going between about uh, 85 to 200 pound loose depending on grading sometimes on condition um, sometimes with weapon without um, just sometimes the, the bids go nuts there seems to be a lot around as well um, I mean for example a loose graded AFA 90 went for 250 pounds a loose non-graded um, I've got four here um, 175 pounds a £169 buy it now, £165 with 32 bids on it, and £159 from 5 bids. Um, considering a tri-logo carded went for £349, you know, if someone's paying 200 almost £200 for a loose one, I mean, you know, it's it's getting that, that sort of, that that gap between, you know, carded and loose is, is kind of crazy. Um, and considering it's it's supposedly a rare figure, I mean, in the last three months, I've counted 137 Yak Face have been sold on, e on the UK eBay alone. Now, okay, some of those are going to be American ones and all over the place, but that's quite a lot of figures for a supposedly rare figure, which is kind of weird, but there we go. The biggest part of the, the whole Yak Face market is these uh, these uh, Repro Yaks, um, which are doing the rounds, and they are actually selling. Um, there's a lot of them, and they're selling for between 10 and 20 pounds. I mean, in fact, 40 I counted 40 have been sold in the last three months alone, and uh, it seems to be the top price someone paid was £31.25. So, who on earth are buying those things? I do not know, but it's definitely getting there. So, uh, be interested to see what the the rest of the forum thinks on um, on this on this worrying thing. I mean, if you see any, it's worth reporting. But uh, you know, don't hold your breath on eBay actually acting. Something which might be worth trying to do is what Apple do. Now, I sell other stuff on eBay as part of my business. And if I sell an Apple graded or an Apple good, I have to, you know, sign a disclaimer saying I am selling a genuine Apple part, especially if it's got a trademarked um, name like MagSafe for a, for a power adapter. Um, I have to agree that I'm, you know, selling a genuine item. I can't just go on there and say, oh, it's an Apple good, because they have a lot of problem with uh, reproduction 
material. So I was wondering whether fans put pressure on Kenner, sorry, on Hasbro and Kenner, and actually get them to say, look, you know, you're selling stuff that that we have trademarks that we have, you know, um, within our our houses that shouldn't be out there being reproduced for profit of others. I mean, you know, yes, they can't control the sort of secondary and tertiary markets, but there's got to be something they can do. Even if it's just for the for the fans. I mean, you know, just put the pressure on eBay. If Apple can do it, then certainly other companies can do it as well. It is only down to the fact that that um, you know Apple stepped in there and slapped um, eBay around, saying, "Look, you got to stop this counterfeit good going on." Um, it's always going to happen, but you know, as long as you put this is like an Apple product, you can get away with it. But you know, surely you can put put the bit of uh, the frighteners on these people. Anyway, I'm not going to hold my breath, but uh, interesting to see what the the rest of the guys think on this. Can't remember how many yak faces you said that were fake, but how are these yak faces fake? I mean, are they are they like statues, or do they have the articulation of a, a normal uh, vintage yak face? I think with these ones, Peter, from uh, looking at the forum, they're actually cast. So whoever's making these reproductions is basically casting solid pieces from a mould that they've obviously made themselves from an original. So the figures, as far as as far as we know, have got no articulation and are also hand painted. When they're in hand, they're pretty obvious. But as you said before, people will be hiding them in uh, job lots and childhood collections to try and catch people's attention. Another thing that I wanted to iterate on the back of that, and I'm going to keep banging on about this point, but before you bid on an auction, make sure you read it first, because they all stay, not all of them, but a lot of these ones, as you stated before, they state that it's reproduction. I don't know whether people see it and think that they're getting a bargain by bidding at the last minute, but just read the small print first. Yeah, it seems like that this, this is quite a rare thing in the world of repros, which is on the Yak Face one especially, they're actually, you know, listing it as it actually in the title itself, which is normally the you know, people who list reproductions seem to wait until you get to the description, which of course, you know, a lot of people don't read these days. Uh, don't I know about that? Running a business on eBay, that's uh, that uh, lots of people don't get past the, the headline, and it, it seems to be um, for the Yak Face, they're actually in the title, but people are still bidding for them. But like I said, it seems to be at the moment the price is about £30. I don't think many people are going to be bidding thinking they're getting a genuine yak face. I'd be surprised if they were. I mean, I don't think anyone's that stupid. A warm welcome back to Ian Sanderson as he takes on the rapid fire question round. Welcome back, Ian. Favourite Star Wars movie? Uh, first one, Star Wars. Favourite Star Wars scene? When the Death Star blows up. Favourite on-screen character? Han Solo. Favourite planet? Tatooine. Optimistic or pessimistic about episode 7? Optimistic. Which actor or crew member would you most like to meet? Harrison Ford. Which character would you most like to be? I reckon I know where you're going with this. <laughs> Probably Han Solo, yeah, go on. <laughs> uh, Padme or Leia? Ooh. That's probably not one my wife needs to hear the answer to either. Leia. <laughs> Who shot first, Han or Greedo? Han. Ewoks, love them or hate them? I don't mind them. Favourite figure as a child? I reckon the Emperor's Royal Guard. Favourite figure now? Death Star droid. <laughs> Which character do you wish they'd made a figure of? There's only about three or four. The, uh, the, Rebel, the Rebel Fleet Commander. Your favourite toy vehicle or playset? X-Wing. And the vehicle playset you wish they'd made? The actual Jabba's barge. Yeah. Uh, your favourite card back? Death Star Droid. What was the last vintage Star Wars toy you purchased? Triple packs. 
If you had to choose a single figure for a focus, which would you choose? Well, Death Star droid, I guess. You grading is? Abomination. And what is the Holy Grail item you're looking for? Uh, something pre-production Death Star droid. Thank you ever so much, matey. It's really a really appreciated, no and uh, hope to have you on again. Yeah, no worries at all. Thank you very much. So that about wraps up our first podcast and it's been a real pleasure putting it together and I can't wait to get stuck into our second. Just want to say a huge thank you to Ian Sanderson, Dave Tree, Paul Bateman and Mark Newbell for taking their time for chatting to us. Uh, if you want to leave us any feedback or contact us or talk about anything that we've put on the podcast, you can contact us direct at swfukpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us at www.facebook.com forward slash Star Wars Forum UK podcast and on Twitter at SWFUK podcast. And don't forget to have a crack at the competition. Uh, the question will now be on the forum. So read the question, go back through the podcast and answer it and uh, email us at SWFUK podcast at gmail.com and we will draw a winner in the next show. And finally, don't forget to drop by at www.starwarsforum.co.uk and get involved in all the threads. Only you posting can make forum and this podcast what it is. So it's goodbye from Peter. Bye. Goodbye from Richard. See you later, guys. Goodbye from Benji. Knowledge is power. And goodbye from Grant. May the force be with you. And it's good night from me. And don't forget... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of Star Wars Forum UK. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email podcast at gmail.com if you don't like this podcast tough are Star Wars products going to have the durability of say that old favourite the teddy bear